You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And uh, once again, we are starting our episode by saying that we stand against racial injustice, we stand against racism, black lives do matter, and uh, we want to encourage people to keep getting out there and speaking up for what's right, uh, keep protesting safely, uh, keep doing everything that you can to stay informed and to keep having a social impact. And also to remind people that your own mental health is important. And even just reading all of the news articles can be exhausting. And seeing how much hate there is in the world can just... It, it sucks and it hurts. And like even for just a couple of white guys, it is exhausting reading these articles. I can only imagine just... I, I can only imagine the hell that so many black people have to go through on a daily basis that are actually experiencing this. And we do not want to minimize that at all we we want to uh to use our voices to say listen to black people uh and and to stand up against racial injustice and it's also true that sometimes you have to take a break for your own mental health and sometimes that break is movies sometimes that break is podcasting and sometimes people can't afford to take that break and they have to keep fighting and for those people uh we we stand with you and uh we offer as much encouragement as and support as possible for people who do need a break that's part of what we're here for is to talk about mindless movies uh yeah absolutely that's that's kind of how that's i'm so glad that we're doing this right now because this week has been i've been just so angry and sad and frustrated and yeah like you said i mean that's something that really hit me this week is i was just like you know this is must be what it must feel like to be a black man or woman in america every single day and i just can't imagine being under such an extraordinary amount of pressure all the time um yeah i've been on the verge of tears so many days and I've, i've straight up cried at so many things i've seen online and it's been it's been exhausting, but I do like, because I am a fragile white guy, I, <laughs> I, I need, like, I've just been so angry that I can't even like focus on anything. And like, I just stew in my own, like I just stew on it so long that it's such a relief to be able to sit here and do this and think about something other than what's going on in the world. At the same time, we're definitely going to be talking about things that are going on today in relation to what was happening in the 50s in these movies because there are so many parallels in almost every movie that i watch which was really surprising and fascinating yeah it's it it is amazing uh (laughs) how much things have changed and how much things have not changed um and and again we we want to emphasize that we are not minimizing uh, anything and and we are not saying oh well that doesn't matter here let's go talk about movies no it very much matters we're also aware of the fact that this is not a political 
uh, podcast in the sense that you're not coming here for politics. We are going to infuse some of that as it relates to movies, very much so, especially in this episode. Um, but we recognize that if you're listening to us, you're probably listening because you need a little bit of a break. Um, and and so for those of you who, who are listening who do need that break, hopefully this will give you some respite and, um, and some levity. And then get back to the fight. Because, um, again, there's a whole lot of racial injustice out there, and it's not going away anytime soon, and everyone has to do their part to do all that we can to, uh, to fight against that. All right. With that being said, we are shifting gears now to talk about movies and also not shifting gears that much because we're talking about movies from the 50s, and we're going to be talking about politics. Um, oh, of course. <laughs> as they relate to movies, <clears throat> but we're ta- we're going to talk about politics. Um, so yeah, um, if you've been listening to us at, at, at all this year, then hopefully you've been following along with our decades episodes that we've been doing, where we are on a year long journey to go through uh, the entire history of cinema. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we're watching and literally every movie ever made. I wish that were the case, and sometimes <laughs> it feels like it. Um, no, we, we are not covering every movie ever made, but we are trying to fill in some of those gaps. You know, some of this was spawned from our horror movie blind spots that we did last year, and some of it from just the fact that you know there's a whole lot of old movies that that we hadn't seen before. Uh, so we've been steadily trying to um, to cover a decade a month. And even though we're a little late in getting the episode actually out, um, May was month five, so we were covering the 50s. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, and the movies that we watched, they we did not watch every movie from the 50s because that would be impossible. And the <laughs> movies that we're going to talk about are not necessarily the best. They're not necessarily the ones that we think that you must see. They're just the ones that we saw. Um and also, we're not going to cover every movie that we watched because mm. I watched 24 movies this last month on yeah, top man. of the Chattanooga Film Fest. Uh, yeah. Bravo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I and I think, I mean, like, I like the way sleep, that we're right? approaching this, though. I like the, I like taking a macro approach to the decade and kind of, I mean, I think that's one of the most amazing fascinating things about movies is the way that you can watch a movie from a certain time period and see how it reflects the culture that it's in. Um, whether intentional or not. And the interesting thing thing about the 50s is it feels like more than any of the other decades we've been in, the 40s, it kind of starts with the 40s a little bit with World War II, but the 50s especially, like, it is very much in almost every movie that I watched commenting on things that are happening in the world at the time in a very explicit way. Like, in a lot of older movies, like a lot of film noir, you can see, like, thematically how it related to things like World War II, um, with the 50s, though, you're getting into like all these science fiction <laughs> movies that are just straight up talking about communists and the atom bomb and um, not even really attempting to disguise it. Yeah, just about every single movie from the 50s is directly a result of being post-World War II. Um, and, and Eric, to your point of, you know, like you did see some of this in the 40s, I... I don't have any uh, actual research to back this up other than just uh, based off the movies that we watch from the 40s and what we watch in the 50s. It feels like when you're watching 
something during what is happening, you don't get as much uh, commentary on it because people are still trying to to deal with it. And they're still trying to process it. They're still trying to right. understand what's happening. So like during it's the more 40s. More of a document of what's <clears throat> happening rather than like trying to take any kind of stance or make any kind of comment on what actually happened or right. what is happening. Right. So like during the 40s, you did have anti-war movies and you did have movies that had very strong anti-war message. But it was more just about war sucks, you know, uh, or, or like it was movies that were just a complete distraction from it because Hollywood's got to keep pushing along. Yeah. Or like you had stuff like The Great Dictator, which was like, like really fascinating and how pressing it is. But at the same time, it's like the filmmakers clearly did not know the extent of what was going on because it was 1940. Um, in the 1950s, there's, you know, you've had that time to reflect or the filmmakers have had that time to reflect on what happened and what's going on in America after World War II ended, because um, we're mostly going to be talking about Hollywood movies, I'll mention. Like, that's mostly yeah. what we watch. We'll get into kind of world history a little bit with some some other things. But, yeah, most of what we watch were, sadly, Hollywood movies. I wanted to get, I wanted to branch <laughs> out a little bit more. I did watch a cor- one Kurosawa movie, <clears throat> but for the most part, it was uh, Man, other stuff. Man, the, the one Kurosawa movie that I kept trying to watch every single time that I would try to watch it uh, is something else would, would end up distracting me. Or like um, I was watching it when like some of these movies I could just have on in the background and listen to what was happening and not miss anything. Um, Like I want to see the man from planet X, you know, like it it, it was fine, but it was a movie that I honestly didn't really watch. I just kind of listened to it and I don't feel like I missed anything. You know what? I would glance up on occasion and like, Oh yeah, that's, that's happening. Um, But with Kurosawa, like I had to watch it because, you know, obviously I was reading the subtitles and so mm-hmm. that one required a lot more attention. And if I tried to watch it too late at night, I was falling asleep, not because it was boring, but because reading makes me tired. Uh, <laughs> so unfortunately I did not get through a single Kurosawa movie, even though I kept trying to watch the same one like 10 times. Yeah. I watched Rashomon, which is an incredible movie that is so bleak, like so much bleaker than I was expecting it to be. And this is actually like, I'm sad to say this is my first Kurosawa movie I've ever seen and still the only one so far. I was wanting to get through some more, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's a fan. It's a, just an extraordinary film and I can't wait to dig into some more of his filmography. Well, and that's also part of why we do this, uh, like our entire horror movie blind spots is to let people know, Hey, it's okay if you've not seen everything, you know, like we are huge, 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 huge mil- uh, movie buffs here. Like we love movies in just about every shape and form. And I mean, like I've got an entire wall <laughs> of VHS because I don't care that it's an inferior quality. There's so much nostalgia tied with it. Mm. We love movies. And speaking we, of, I just we also say, just haven't seen all of the movies. Like it's, <laughs> it's okay to love yeah. something and also not have an encyclopedic knowledge of literally everything about it. So, right. and we also tend to focus on horror movies and genre pictures and stuff, which just really quick, you have to watch Rashomon because there is a scene in that movie it goes to some like supernatural thing. There's some supernatural aspects to the film that I did not expect at all. And there's one scene in that movie that is one of the creepiest things I've ever seen. Like it is so haunting. Um, I don't want to spoil it for you, but I, I, I need to watch that one then. It was, it really shocked me whenever it happened. I had no idea. So, uh, yeah, I, I need to watch Rashomon. The one that I kept trying to start was uh, Hidden Fortress because, you know, I love yeah. Star Wars and Star I wanted Wars. to see just how much <laughs> Lucas ripped off. 
and and i was loving it 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 was great and like even in just the first 15 20 minutes it's like oh hey there massive political commentary how are you doing this wow this is kind of painful to watch and it's also relevant and this is also an amazing movie and also then i fell asleep but nathan we all know that the star wars movies are apolitical at least the original ones are totally apolitical and should have remained that way you know because the use of terms like stormtrooper and you know people rebelling against the empire there's nothing political about that no politics out of movies and you know like uh darth vader's helmet was in no way fashioned after nazi helmets like no no, not not even a little bit exactly so uh yeah to to the keep your politics out of movies um we've already mentioned that most of the ones that we're going to be talking about of course there's a lot of politics infused in them and I know that there's a lot of people out there who just watch movies as a distraction and that's fine. One of my friends, like if it doesn't have, uh, um, lasers and, uh, like laser swords, then he doesn't want to see it because like he robots. Yes. If it doesn't have that, then it's not a real movie because movies should be distractions. He doesn't want to deal with real life, which is why he doesn't even like jaws. Uh, I, I should say that this friend is not a movie person. This friend is a, I, I don't, I don't know. Listen, it's okay not to like Jaws. It's so funny. I'm wearing my Jaws t-shirt right now. No, it's, it's not okay, okay to not, not like, like Jaws. Jaws. It is a perfect movie. Okay. But listen, we, listen, we spent like we two hours stops. talking about how it's a perfect movie. Uh, I know. Yeah, man. What a, can we just talk about Jaws some more? <laughs> <laughs> I think about Jaws like every day of my life. I feel like this is just such a, it, just such a, Perfect. It, perfect it really is. So, 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 you know, people like my friend who only want to watch movies for distractions and, you know, like they don't like drama and stuff like that. That's fine. Having personal preference of the kinds of movies that you enjoy. Totally fine. But the people out there who say that movies should not be political, it's like, I, but movies are political. Like even these dumb giant monster movies from the fifties, like are so blatantly um, anti-atomic weapons that like, yeah, it, it doesn't matter if it's mm. crappy, uh, stop motion, giant scorpions cutting people in half. Like the entire point of it is look what America and look what the world is doing to itself with these atomic weapons. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I, too because yeah. I, 50s, I do not like the movie should not be political. They absolutely should. It's fine. Well, if you don't enjoy that movie, but to right. say that they shouldn't be political, <clears throat> go back and watch more movies. They, they it just, are. It all just kind of shows you the way that people read movies. There's some people who can watch something like Star Wars and they only see the laser swords and whatever. I'm going to just call them laser swords and <laughs> lightsabers from now on. Um, I, I think at one point people, he wanted to call them laser swords. So. Remember how pissed off people were that, <clears throat> that Luke Skywalker called a, a lightsaber a laser sword in The Last Jedi? Oh man, people were so mad about that. Anyway, <laughs> you remember how point. people um, got super pissed off because it didn't fit perfectly with what they wanted it to be? Exactly. But what I, what I think is really interesting, though, is that especially <clears> in the <throat> 1950s, these big budget, giant monster, escapist, um, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like uh, spectacle kind of movies. Those are the ones that end up, at least in the one, in all the movies that I watched, those are kind of the most political movies that we ended up watching. Uh-huh. Like they're very much drawing on that. So like the one of the ones that I watched is them. 
um, which is the movie about the giant ants that are found in the, uh, the Nevada Sierra Desert. Madre. Sierra Madre. I don't know. It, is it? I don't, I don't remember. No, I mean, I wherever know. the, uh, where was the atomic or not, not, is it not, not maybe New Mexico, wherever the atomic bomb testing. Sure. Place. Um, yeah, I didn't write as many notes down, so I can't remember so, <laughs> a lot of the details. Um, I, but yeah, I, I mean, zero notes down. this movie and that movie, it is a movie about giant ants attacking people. And in that regard, it is a hell of a lot of fun. Um, and you can see the influences on things like alien. There's a scene where they have to go into the ants nest and they see that the ants have been laying eggs and, you know, they talk about like, honestly, it's truly terrifying. Like thinking about what would happen if ants really did grow to be this size because there are so many of them. They're so strong and, the uh, they can fly off and populate in other areas, and that's kind of the big conflict in the movie. Um, but yeah, like it works just on a like a very visceral kind of thrill level where they're shooting ants and fighting them and setting them on fire and all that shit. But um, what's amazing is like there's a scene in the movie where in Los Angeles they declare martial law and they implement a curfew, and everyone has to stay in their homes because the these ants are out there, but they don't want to tell them exactly what's happening. Actually, no, I take that back. They do mention on TV that there are giant ants. I'm pretty sure at some point. Um, are there anyway, also like, giant uncles? <laughs> giant uncles. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. It's, it's okay. Except for I'm, the fact I'm, that I'm not sorry at all. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that one. Um, but what's fascinating is like when I first watched this at the beginning of the month, I was like, oh, they are telling people they have to stay in their homes and they can't come out. This is very similar to a pandemic. And now... Um, with the way that the military kind of rushes in at the end of the movie, it's like, oh, this is totally relevant in a different way. Just by the end of this f-ing month, yep. at the end of the end of the month of May in 2020, like it feels totally relevant in a totally different way. Um, and I think that's what's interesting about a lot of these 50s movies is they are tackling, like in in the 1950s, it is um very much a kind of red scare topic, like it is about um. You know, it's about a foreign invader. And um, what's also really fun about a lot of these 50s movies is that nowadays, whenever you get movies where scientists are coming in and they're trying to figure out what's going on with some kind of monster or creature or whatever, a lot of times the scientists are like, no, we can't kill this creature. It's a poor, it's just an innocent ant. Like, what are we doing? What I love about in the 50s is that these scientists, in a lot of cases, are like, <laughs> burn it, burn it now, burn it with fire. We need to destroy this now, or the entire human race is going to be wiped out. And it is so oddly refreshing like how, how fun that is despite well, the fact that at the time it is very much a like oorah we are americans we will destroy any enemy that stands in our way with with extreme prejudice yeah I mean, and like that's the thing like going back and watching some of these movies where the uh, like military does sweep in just okay we must destroy this like part of me watching the movie from a, a purely uh yes there's a giant monster trying to destroy us it's like yay destroy the monster but looking at it with uh, within the context of where we live currently and even within the context of some of the other monster movies that we've seen the, or that uh, that are from the 50s, it's like, uh, but you know what? The monster's not always wrong. And sometimes the going in with force is very much the wrong thing to do. And mm-hmm. we're going to talk about that in just a minute with one of my all-time favorite movies ever. Um, but before we get too much further into this... Um, let me just take one step back and say we already did mention that we're not going to talk about every movie that we saw because again between the two of us we watched like 30 plus movies i think 
Um, and just from the fifties, I think that I've seen, uh, I think it was 44 was the count, uh, at least from what I have logged on letterboxd. So there's no way that, that we're going to cover everything that we saw or everything that we have seen before. Um, but we are going to try to address these movies with some specific topics and all of these topics pretty much deal with post-war, um, post-war political commentary. So you've got stuff like the atomic age and, uh, and red scare. You've got stuff like, uh, like youth and revolt or, you know, youth and rebellion or rebellion or just finding their own independence. Um, which in and of itself leads to things like drive-ins and quote unquote B movies. Um, you also have uh, movies competing with television, which you might say, well, how does that relate to being post-war? Well, it's because, you know, TV is a lot more of the, all right, you know, let's, let's stay at home. Let's keep this family unit. But then there's the business of Hollywood saying, oh yeah, family units are great and all, but we still want money. So even with movies competing with TV, it is still a direct result of, um, of the impact that the war had on society. You've also got uh, like just dealing with identity and we're going to talk about that uh, in some interesting ways when we get to, uh, to that section. Um, and, and you've also got movies that, again, might not seem like they're directly related to being post-war, but things like hammer horror movies or movies that are trying to capture that feel of the earlier universal monster movies. There's still some of that, like almost escapism, uh, maybe a little bit more of the, um, it, escapism, but in a slightly different way than you might think of escapism now. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to get all of that out front. So speaking of Red Scare, one of my favorite Red Scare movies, because it is literally a Red Scare, is The Blob. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Blob holds a special place in my heart, not just because the 80s remake is amazing, but because last year, year before, sometime within the last two years, uh, I was out at LA, out in LA for a conference, and uh, like I was dealing with with the flu or something. Like I was not feeling great, um, and just like some other frustrations, and uh, and so we went to, uh, I think it was called the Fan. Tom carriage is that right i know that's a movie which is why i feel like it's not right anyways we went to uh like some little pub that had uh like a very classic monster feel to it like there were a lot of chalk drawings of the universal monsters and in one of the rooms they had um they had just movies going on the screen and uh i forget what movie was playing there originally but like no one was in that room and i was like hey can do, do, can you guys like turn on and i forget what i asked them just like oh yeah here's the list of everything that we have I'm like oh holy crap okay um like 30 pages of movies so i got about 10 <laughs> movies in just the blob yep sure let's go with that one so we turned on the blob and i basically uh just sat alone in a bar watching the blob and i i loved it and it was amazing and it was one of the best moments of that entire conference <laughs> because it had nothing to do with the conference and then like other people started coming in as well but like i was just so engrossed in in watching the 50s version of the blob that uh yeah it, it holds a very special place in my heart and also it is a literal red scare and uh that's funny. I didn't even yeah. I didn't even put that together the way that it's like, and it's like trying to take over this town and 
Yeah, it's just absorbing um, everyone and getting bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and nothing that you can do can stop it because it's this outside alien force that just consumes you and Yeah, and man, the, and the, the only way that you can defeat it is with cold. With cold, yeah. Yes. <laughs> with a cold, you might say is, that they waged a cold war against the Red Scare. You very much can say that. Um, man, The Blob was, <laughs> was fascinating. That movie, the ending of that movie, one of the things that's kind of fascinating about these movies in the 50s is they're really, you get the sense that they're really trying to, like, you can, there's a cynicism to them in a certain way. Um, with like The Blob at the very end of the movie, like it gets super bleak for a minute there um, whenever it yep. seems like all hope is lost and they're like putting children in danger. But the fascinating thing about all these fifties movies is that they're still, at least some of the earlier ones are still sort of um, beholden to the production code. So there's always like in the very la- last, like two minutes of the movie, like, Oh great. We just miraculously figured out the way to like destroy the monster. And everything <laughs> is going to be okay. And nothing bad that happened will affect any of these people ever again and there's no trauma or anything like it's like yeah we defeated the enemy and everything is perfect man but you get the sense that a lot of the writers don't actually feel that way and because they like go so bleak and so dark right up until the very end until they have to tack on something you get the same thing with invasion of the body i was i was just about to say you know what is a perfect example of that invasion of the body snatchers with uh, kevin mccarthy that i this is the first time that i've ever seen it and a lot of the movies from the 50s i hadn't seen before um i i've seen the one from the 70s and i i love that movie and the one from the 50s I feel like holds very, very close to it. Or I guess I should say the one from the seventies holds very close to the one from the fifties. Um, I, I thought it was great. And at times it got super bleak and like, God, there, there's again, so much political commentary of, Oh, if you just become one of us and stop having emotion, the world would be better. And yeah. well, I'm gonna, it's also about an actual pandemic in a way, like it's their these parasites that take people over and it's interesting because it's different from the uh the remake and the remake the pods are creating it's kind of confusing no no it's it's the same it's the same like it is an alien spore that comes from outer space and lands on american soil right and then these pods grow and they absorb yeah they create the bodies and then like while the person is sleeping the pod absorbs the life force of uh of that person and becomes them like it's It's confusing though because there's a point where at the end somebody gets turned but it doesn't seem like they're actually replaced by another body it looks like they just fall asleep and they wake up and they're a pod person that was what was kind of confusing about that movie okay well Um, with as close as with as close as they were to the pod farm i Mm -hmm. i that may be what it is it could have been it could have been that person was alone for a for a very brief period of time yeah, it, I mean, it could also have been that they were like, uh, crap, we need this thing to happen plot wise, but there's no pods around and eh, whatever. Oh, well, um, yeah, they're like, it's a the, movie, whatever. So I, I do want to say this and this is going to, uh, well, mm, I don't want to say this, but the, the entire argument of, um, if you don't have emotion, like things are going to be easier. Like you don't have to deal with love. You don't have to blah, 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 blah. Like they make a compelling argument because when you have emotions, you have things like anger and hate and fear. That being said, you also lose things like love and compassion and kindness and, yeah. and caring. And so 
Yeah, I've I've always found um, that that plot point or that argument so fascinating with the, uh, oh, if you don't have emotion, you don't have to deal with these things. Or no problems. Yeah, it's, but then you don't have these things, and oh, man, is it that's worth a, it? Like, whew, man. That's kind of know. like the whole human experience and the whole thing about humanity. is Like, like there's one point in the movie where um, that you know they learn about what the pod people are doing that they're trying to wipe out emotion, take over everyone because they want peace. And then there's the, um, I can't think of her name, the, the female character in the film. Um, what is her name in that movie? Anyway, um, there's a point where she's like, Dana Winter's character. Um, she's, she kind of like turns to um, Kevin McCarthy and she's like, I don't want to live in a world without love or grief. Like at one point she says grief. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing to say because most people, like, that is the hardest thing about being a human is losing someone and having grief. But that's one of those things that makes us uniquely human. And without strife and struggle, then you have no context for what is good in the world and what it means to be a good person. Yep. Um, you, you become yeah, just a mindless just drone drone or the yeah. mindless zombie or, and I mean, <laughs> once we start getting into zombie movies, then that's it. it it's uh, hit you over the head constantly, uh, but it's still relevant. And yeah. body snatchers is interesting because it is very clearly an allegory for communism and how communists just want everyone to be the same. And they're trying to take over and, um, you know, it's very much a piece of propaganda against <clears throat> communism and against the Russians. It's, you know, very much a product of its time. But it's a film that is so universal in its themes that I feel like it will always be relevant no matter what's going on in the world. Like, you know, there were parts of it where I was like, oh, this reminds me of the 2016 election where it's like, I don't recognize <laughs> my neighbors anymore <laughs> because I can't believe the things that they are saying right now. Like, Make seed people- pods great again, right. Yeah, well, it's just like, I, even like people in my own family, I'm just sitting here like seeing the things that they're saying and the people that they're supporting and the platforms that they are completely okay with, like keeping immigrants out of this country and locking kids in cages. And it's like, you are a person who claims to be a Christian, who claims to love everyone. And yet you are not not even like, not even like reserved about it in any way. Like, oh, I don't necessarily agree with this, but... It's like, yeah, I am totally for this. We need to protect our own America first, blah, 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 all this stuff. And it's like, that is completely antithetical to everything that you have said my entire life and you've raised me to believe. Like, who are you? Um, It's well, and like, there is a lot of psychology in the us versus them. And like, I, I get the nuance of, I mean, it's, it's even just like on sports teams, you know, like, um, when you're in little league or, yeah let's let's look at like little league so if your kids are are out there just having fun playing games and their best friends are playing with them then if um if the if the kids divide up into two different teams and your kid's best friend is on a different team like they're not going to be showing love during that game. Like they're going to be, you know, taunting them and like angry at them. And, and like, unfortunately there is a lot of psychological reasons to understand why that happens, but it doesn't change the fact that it's not necessarily good. And there is some survival instinct in it, but there's a line in the movie where um, he's basically like, yeah, this is what humans do. We harden our hearts. 
oh yeah god i i love Um, that little dialogue where he's talking about this is what happens to every single one of us every single day it Mm. just usually takes longer and and it's when you see it happen overnight that you fight against it and i was like that's basically mm. what i what i got from that too is he's basically saying like yeah we don't realize what we're doing until it affects us like and that's so true of so many people that i know where it's like you know, I've seen so many people who will speak out against like LGBT against the LGBTQ community until a relative of theirs comes out and they're like, oh, what have I been doing? And unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. For well, man, you, you don't even have to uh, look at that vague of an example. Like you can look at all of the examples of uh, those college kids like going down to Florida and just like, I'm not going to catch COVID, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And then like two weeks later, you see the video of them like, guys, COVID is no joke. Stay, stay yeah. home. Like I'm, I'm telling you. Oh, you mean or like, like all people- of the professionals and people who actually know what they're talking about have been telling us for months? Yeah. Now, or whenever you have dude to, bro like, got uh, sick and we're going to listen. <laughs> it makes me think too of like when you have to appeal to people where it's like, imagine if this was your daughter or your wife who was sexually assaulted or something. And it's like, no, you shouldn't have to imagine it being somebody that you're yeah. related to. You should just be against this. Like, why do you have to, why do we always have to put it in, in terms the in terms of like, how does this affect me? Because yeah. there's such a, such an egocentrism to so many people where it's like, Oh, this isn't affecting me, so I don't care about it. I'm not going to worry about it. Um, yeah, and that's that's kind of the stem of like that's where so many of the issues that we're having now, right now, with systemic racism, the white people are just totally unaware of it. And where you get things like "all lives matter," and it's like, no, you're completely. <laughs> it, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's all lives do the, matter, which is why Black Lives Matter. Exactly, and that's what's interesting about Invasion of the Body Snatchers too. Is in the whole crux of the argument that the pod people have is. We want to whitewash everyone to feel exactly the same way about everything. We want it to be all lives matter. We want <laughs> you to have no no emotion, no no form of expression, and we are going to use violence against you if you protest. Yep. Um, it's oh man, it's just it's an incredible movie, and watching it right now, it just really everything about it just hit me in such a such an unexpected way. Like really hit me very heavily. <laughs> <laughs> It, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great movie. The Kevin McCarthy's line about this happens to all of us. It just usually happens slower. Again, like obviously that line was about war and that line, um, was about how, yeah, you know, like millions of people are going to die because of disease, but when millions of people die at once because of an atomic bomb, like that, it hits you harder. And, Mm. um, like it makes sense in that context, but it also totally hit home with me with the um, like people are going to get hardened and they don't realize it unless it happens in front of their face. Mm. And, you know, like to me that, you know, like you were saying uh, that line directly relates to systemic racism of so many people in America have grown up in the system that they don't see the impact that it has had on them. But the people, you know, primarily black people who do have to deal with this racism, racism on a daily basis, they do see that happen immediately. They do have those immediate consequences, which is why they're fighting against it. Yeah. And you know, they have been peacefully protesting like that's the thing that's driving me crazy is like <laughs> white people see these riots yep. they're like oh what are you doing how dare you do this like 
you're destroying this property, you're just ruining your argument. And it's like, no, people are just fed up. Yeah. Like, like, why why can't you protest peacefully? You mean like taking a knee during the national anthem? No, that dude's a son of a bitch. Like it's just, and and it's, mm. yeah, it's crazy. We're getting too, we're getting, maybe not too political, but, um, but it, but it does relate to all of these things that were happening during the 50s. But mm-hmm. in the 50s, when you deal with things like the uh, Red Scare and um, anti-communism and all this other stuff, it was very easy to say the other because it was an other country. You know, you were yeah. fighting, oh, these people are coming in Far and destroying away. our American way of life. Whereas currently, it's like these are Americans that you are sending military out to fight against. And yeah. Yeah, we might be getting a little political, but it matters. Um, the yeah, and I can't not talk about these movies without just getting into what's going on now. Like it's just it's 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 too, feels like too much of a burden on my heart to not yeah. say some of these things. Now, I, I do want to say just really quickly because I do feel like it's relevant, especially with Invasion of the Body Snatchers um, and growing up in that system. Systemic racism is a thing, and to me. To me, it has to be a thing because, let me explain what I mean by that, if systemic racism doesn't exist, then that means a lot of my friends and family and people that I love and work with are outright hateful racists. Yep. And that's harder for me to deal with, to say this person is an evil person because they have hate in their heart. And I don't, I don't think that that's true. Like, for me, it is... We have all grown up in a system of racism, and so many people don't see that. And so when they say because things... Because of the privilege that we, we have. Right. Yeah, that's why it's so important to recognize white privilege. Right. And so when they say some of the things that they say, they're not saying it out of hate, and they're not saying it out of an internalized racism. They're just reinforcing the system and and to me like that has to be in place because and when i say has to i don't mean it will always and should always be there i mean um that has to be the reason why so many people are doing what they're doing because if it's not then um then we're fucked because trying to change the hateful heart of a hateful person is not easy it's breaking down yeah breaking it's not down based in logic it's just yeah it's, ba- it's based it's in emotion which yeah. is you know body snatchers again there's relevance <laughs> um but breaking down systems is possible and restructuring those systems and maybe it's just the uh like the movie nerd in me that has watched a whole lot of dystopian movies but like how um how do you have a happy ending in a dystopian movie it's a single person taking down like a single person in the system which Mm -hmm. then wipes down the entire system which has been blinding everyone else it's not oh the entire world is evil and we have to destroy the world it's no they're blinded by the system yeah and and again whether or not that's realistic i don't know but to me fighting against a system means that there is still hope for people it's why the ending of invasion of the body snatchers rings so false because it's like nobody believes anything that he's saying until they hear one little thing and they're like oh okay we're gonna fix this now and it's like that's one thing that i love about the 70s remake of it yeah, the 70s oh, remake goes God. full on like this is how it is and this is why it's important for us to recognize the problem because in the original one it's like, oh, it's a problem but, but we will solve it. We will figure it out. And I, on a certain 
to a certain degree, I like the optimism of that, but it is presented in such simplistic terms that it it rings false. Well, I mean, um, even when Kevin McCarthy again, it, it is, does, it definitely feels like it's something that is just a product. Yeah. So even like when um, when Kevin McCarthy is in his greenhouse and uh, and and destroying those pods, like you get that moment of hesitation before he stabs them because even yep. though he knows it's not a real person, there's still that piece of like it, it's still to me at least came across as he felt like he was killing someone that he loved, even though he was only destroying a shell that was eventually right. going to overtake them. And so like, even in invasion of the body snatchers, you have the, I'm not going to attack this person, even though they are no longer themselves. And even mm-hmm. though they have been overtaken um, by this ideology that is going to destroy the world, I still can't so kill them we have to take down the moment. system and i love that moment too because he's like he's he walks up to because he, he looks at the um shell of dana winter's character becky i think is her name um and he kind of stops and then he goes over and he attacks like the his own shell first like he does it to himself he can do it he can harm himself before he can harm the other person and sometimes it feels that way where it's like i am so hesitant to engage in any kind of political conversation with my family members sometime because I'm afraid that I'm going to damage that relationship in some ways. And I'm more willing to, and like, even though it burns me up inside to not say anything, sometimes I'm like, you know what? I have to do this because I need to maintain this connection. I don't want to hurt this person. Yeah. So two two things related to that. And then we will get back to movies. Uh, One of the memes going around is I'd rather offend my white friends than bear my black ones. And it's like, that's kind of where I'm at at this point in my life. Like after these past few weeks, like I'm, I'm done being silent and I'm done. I'm sick of like sitting here and listening to my family members spew ignorant bullshit. Yep. So uh, the other thing, and then I promise we're getting back to movies, but (laughs) so many of the movies that we're talking about are relevant to this. Uh, there have been a few times that, you know, like I've seen friends post something about like, oh, this is sure making it easy to clear up my friends list. And like, I get it. And I know that I'm probably going to lose friendships over some of the things that I'm saying in support of Black Lives Matter. But I have not gone through and actively deleted people because if I do that, that is one more voice that I am removing from them potentially being able to see. And so I'm, I'm making their echo chamber just a little bit smaller by removing myself and that's that's how i feel about it too like i hate this whole Mm -hmm. like i feel like silencing other people is the same as like whenever people are like oh if you don't like this country then leave yeah like no i don't want to leave because i don't run away from my problems that is why we have so many problems because we don't talk about it we don't engage with each other that is the that is one of the biggest issues in this country especially like social media and stuff is that we all live in our bubbles and we all get our news from specifically curated things that agree with us and that we engage in conversation via text and we remove some and via memes and stuff. And we remove so much of the nuance from reality. Uh, And that's why we struggle to understand one another so much. um, So uh, I feel like this is actually a really great segue to talk about. And there's a ton of other uh, like Atomic Age and Red Scare movies. And uh, once we get through all of our topics, we'll go back and uh, potentially list some of the other ones. But in terms of staying is the ultimate Red Scare movie that really works on every level. No, I'm I'm still going with the blob because it is a literal (laughs) Red Scare. 
I mean, sure, but the Blob doesn't tackle all these this thorny subject matter and in, in as much and thoughtful. The Blob is the Blob it, is much more of it does, but it does it in a different way. The Blob is literally absorbing people, but it's a much more obvious that is the enemy rather than no, they are, they're still themselves. They've just lost all emotion. So okay, fine. Invasion of the Body Snatchers <laughs> is better. Uh, yeah, and God, there there are a lot of um. A lot of movies that I watched that all dealt with some of those atomic scare, but to make sure that we do at least get through more than just one topic, uh, we're going to keep going through some of these, and then if we have a chance, we'll come back and uh, just oh, list the off some of the other world. movies. Did you watch the thing from another world? Uh, I don't. Maybe the one that the thing is the thing remake. Is oh no 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 no! I'm thinking of a different movie that I watched. Yeah. No, sadly, That's I did not watch uh, the thing from from another. Is it from another world or from another planet? The thing from another world. Yeah. Unfortunately, I did not have a chance to see that one. Um, yeah. They, God, there are a lot of movies. Pretty much any giant monster movie is dealing with. Ah, oh God. Okay. No. Godzilla. We <laughs> Yes. I was going to say we have to talk about this one before we can move on to that next topic. We cannot move on without talking about Godzilla. Um, it, it is one of the first giant monster movies. Yeah. There were monsters before, but this is one of the first like the the atomic age has created this monstrosity this is on us and if you have never seen the original gojira it is powerful and it is it is such an amazing movie yeah sure there's we did a whole episode about this one so people who if you want to hear more thoughts more of our thoughts on this then uh you can go back and check out that episode. It was like last October, I think, that we did Yeah, that. it was one of the first ones that we did in our uh, Blind Spots month. Blind Spots, yeah. Um, but yeah, Gojira is such an amazing movie, and there's a little bit of, you know, kind of rubber monstery look to it, but for me at least, I'm so captivated in the story and the emotions of the characters that even when it's very obviously a rubber monster, I don't care. Um, yeah. And eventually we're going to do a series on Godzilla because I do think that it's fascinating that Godzilla has turned from a, um, this monster is the result of an atomic weapon being dropped on us. And the, uh, the attack that we suffered, we are continuing to, to deal with because of these horrible weapons that destroy countless of millions of people. And, and again, we are continuing to suffer with the effects of it. I think it's fascinating that it went from that to our buddy Godzilla over there destroying the monsters. Like, <laughs> but it's fascinating too because it, and like that change happened almost immediately with the American version of the original film, where they spliced in, or they like shot additional footage with uh, who's, who's Raymond the, Burr. Uh, act- Raymond Burr. Raymond Burr. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they shot additional footage and to Americanize this thing, like the way that we appropriated this film that is very much about Japan dealing with the fallout of literal <laughs> nuclear fallout. I, that was that almost feels insensitive to say it that it, way, but but that's, I didn't intend it that way. But, no, no, um, it is like it is an amazing, powerful movie that shows the the deadly impact of nuclear fallout. And most American audiences needed it white splained by Perry Mason exactly, to yeah. care. And it's like, why? No, it was already such a great movie. Nothing against Raymond Burr. Like, I I grew up watching Perry Mason. He's he's great. But it's still just like, I... (sighs) Yeah, it's it's weird. Um, Yeah, Godzilla is... 
it it is an essential movie. Like it is one. Absolutely. And again, the original Gojira. If you have never seen it, you need to. It's the reason why it's in the Criterion Collection. Like, oh it is, man, it is not just a fun little monster movie. It is an important film that again kind of ranks up there as one of the greatest, most essential movies ever made. It's yeah, it is followed very closely by the '98 Godzilla by Roland Emmerich. <laughs> Uh, I, did, I cannot believe I didn't see this coming. Did you just talk about Godzilla to make that joke for that punchline? No, because Gojira is legitimately uh, one of the best movies ever made. Yeah, Emmerich's Godzilla is a fun giant monster movie, and when we do our Godzilla series, um, I'll go on another rant about how it's actually a really good Godzilla movie. It's probably All better right. than some of the other ones. It's great. I haven't seen it since 1998, so. Uh, um, and actually, I didn't even see it in 1998 either, as we as we talked about on this podcast before. I fell asleep. It's it's, it's a good movie. All right, so uh, the thing that I that was transitioning before we were like, oh, of course we have to talk about Godzilla um, with some of the like rebelling against the Red Scare and with some of the you know finding our own independence. Then you also get a lot of those um, like youth and revolt movies. You get a lot of rebellion. You get some of those motorcycle gangs. You get um, you get the the teenage movies and and you see them in kind of two forms. You get like the uh, like the beach surf movies of you can't tell me what to do because I don't care about anything. I'm just going to go have fun and surf the waves. And you get the, you can't tell me what to do because the world sucks and everything is miserable and you're only part of the problem. And, and I think that it's fascinating that people who love beach movies, who might not like some of the more, um, you know, dramatic, um, teen movies, don't realize that they're pretty much saying the exact same thing, but just a different take, pretty much the exact same thing that we started with of, are you going to uh, address these concerns that you're seeing, or are you going to just run away from them and, and have some escapism and pretend they don't Mm. really exist. Um, And to me, two of the best youth and revolt movies or at least, you know, teen rebellion dealing with angst and parents who don't understand and all this other stuff is uh, rebel without a cause and the wild one. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Two great movies, <laughs> two drastically different movies. And yeah, yeah, fascinating. You know, I watched rebel without a cause first uh, for the first time this month. And Rebel Without a Cause, I expected to be a lot more like The Wild One. The Wild One is the movie that I expected Rebel Without a Cause to be. And in fact, I think Rebel Without a Cause might actually be a more fitting title for The Wild One because there's that line where they're like, <laughs> Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, what are you rebelling against? And what do you Wild got? And I was like, what you got? Yeah. Which is so, which is a great line that they unnecessarily repeat because they're so enamored with it. They're like, oh, did you hear him? He sa- I asked him this and he said this. Ha ha ha. And I'm like, oh my God. Why? <laughs> Why did you say that again? That's so stupid. Anyway, um, I, I, don't you know people like that though? Like, haven't you ever been somewhere where you say something oh, mildly sure, yeah. amusing, I mean, yeah. and then someone else walks in, like, "Oh, dude, 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 t- tell them that joke that you just told." And it's like it's not there are funny now. Examples it's, of that on this yeah. podcast. So. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. So let's um, talk about Godzilla. <laughs> but yeah, Rebel Without a Cause. I was kind of shocked by how serious this movie is. Like, it is a hard hitting drama yep. about James Dean. Like I was expecting him to be more of the Marlon Brando. Cause I mean like James Dean is kind of like the picture of like 
what everybody wanted to be. Well, all of the teens wanted to be, who all the teens wanted to be in the fifties. You know, he was like, he was the, the cool, cool guy. guy he made a uh, black leather jackets and, popular. Yeah. Or red leather jackets. really, I guess. Was it red? Maybe it's well in the, uh, in Rebel without a cause at least. Yeah. His is red. Pretty sure. Um, Roman like, Brando's was just a, a lot of, black jacket. Yeah. I expect a lot of like posturing and him like kind of coming into the, um, coming into the town, the new kid who kind of like, is a rebel and all the girls are kind of like attracted to the sense of freedom they get with him. But that is not this movie at all. He is absolutely nope. an outsider. He is like more like the, uh, the new kid in school who is bullied by those people. Yep. Um, and like his he's, rebellion. He's, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like, he's rebelling, but like he's rebelling out of pain. And it's not that he's actively doing things to cause harm to others. It's more of just, it's more of a, you don't understand what I'm going through. Stop trying to sound like you do when you obviously don't. Yeah. And, and like, so you obviously, uh, I'm going to say this, making a judgment have never seen the, you're tearing me apart line before oh, yeah. this movie. Well, no, I saw it in uh, the room. You're tearing me apart, Lisa. <laughs> it's no. so funny because this movie is totally a huge influence on The Room, which I kind of knew about ahead of time because uh, Tommy Wiseau loves James Dean. That's his favorite actor. And he loves Marlon Brando, too. Um, but, like, the character of um, the the main kid, what's the kid's name who, uh, like, latches on to James Dean's character, to Jim Stark? Uh, he has a uh, Plato. The character of Plato is totally Denny in the room, which is fascinating. But anyway, <laughs> don't worry, I'm talking about the room. Um, yeah, like this is an incredibly emotional movie. And what's fascinating about it is like it is not a very simple like, oh, his parents don't care about him. He is abandoned by society. Like the fascinating thing is that his parents do care about him. They just don't know how to communicate with him. And they often try to use their wealth to make problems go away rather than actually talking about it. But then when they try to talk to him about his problems, they are condescending without realizing it. And that just causes him to rebel against them even more. So, and it just uh, comes from this total lack of understanding, despite the fact that they deeply seem like they want to, at least his dad on a certain level. And he just doesn't get it. So um, while we're mom, talking about the oh, family, uh, I, I just want to mention this, that I feel like the representation of family in Rebel Without a Cause is probably a much more accurate representation of, you know, like uh, parents don't always follow strict gender roles. And mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you are going to have a a parent who's very well-meaning, but just maybe doesn't really know how to address things. And um, like neither of his parents really know how to talk to him. And and a lot of the um, the angst that James Dean is experiencing is because one of his parents is very strict and, yeah, like just tries to throw money at the problem. And the other parent uh, is much more um, much more not reserved, but just a- almost he, ill-equipped maybe to, to yeah, know like what he, to do. He doesn't like confrontation. His dad basically refuses to confront his wife about any any issues or anything like he just lets her run all over him and and i wonder i wonder how much of that was like an uh an an intentional uh trying to reinforce gender roles of look you see what's going to happen if you don't have a strong male figure in the house like you're going to turn into this angsty rebel and 
watching the movie i enjoyed how things were presented and i enjoyed the fact that it didn't look uh the same as what you've seen in other movies in terms of like the strong nose best father but then afterwards I-, I was like oh Oh, were they trying to say that if you don't have like a strong dude, you're going to end up bad? That, mm, I don't like that. I don't know. I did have that thought too. And I'm not really sure if that's exactly what they were saying. Um, But I do like the fact that they, they, I mean, this is the fifties. This is the whole, like when people talk about nowadays, when people talk about making America great again, I think in their mind, they're thinking of like, I think they're thinking of suddenly when they talk about make America great again. Exactly. Yeah. They're thinking about a version of the fifties that didn't actually exist. Uh, Like the leave it to beaver version of America. But in rebel without a cause, it is stripping that facade away and showing like, no, uh, families, the family unit was not great. And that is why we are seeing so much of this rebellion in teenagers, which kind of, I think ultimately leads to a lot of countercultural stuff in the sixties. Um, well, I mean, we'll even month, even but. with the entire thing with Plato, where he was like James, he was viewing James Dean as his dad, and yeah, viewing he, um, he had no was it Debbie Reynolds as his mom, and and yeah, like it, it's it is a very uh, weird dynamic that they show because on the one hand, yeah, without any sort of uh, parental figures, you are going to be a little bit more lost there without having someone to look up to. There is a lot more confusion in in what to do or how to respond to things. I didn't love the fact that the only minority in the movie was presented as not having a a family yeah, at all, and yeah. I I didn't. Again, there are definitely some gender roles and definitely um, some race time, roles I, that are presented that I I feel like some of those are part of the time. Not saying that they should be excused, but saying that. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have to instantly be vilified. Like, yes, this was part of the right. time. Don't think that that was their intention, at least not in that way. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about it. You know. And I wonder too if it's, yeah, it is true that the minority character. I guess he's Italian. Sal Maneo is the actor. Um, he is very tra- like the movie opens with him. Like you, you learn that he has been. He's taken his. Uh, mom's gun and his mom's not there he just kind of has like a his parents are rich and they just leave him off or sort of rich i guess is kind of what the implication is but his parents just abandon him and yeah rich enough to have a uh, a house worker yeah exactly um who deeply cares about him and she is a minority character as well and like the minority characters are presented with such empathy and compassion and so I don't know. I mean, it's interesting because Plato is the most sympathetic character in the film, I think. Um, despite the fact that in the beginning of the movie, you learn that he has t- stolen his gun and going out and murdering dogs with it. And that was like the the amount of like darkness in this movie sh- was legitimately shocking to me because it was made in 1955. And the fact that it opens with James Dean like being drunk on yeah. the sidewalk and getting arrested and oh man let me just most- say from a filmmaking standpoint i love the fact that what's going on while the credits are rolling is relevant information yeah, rather absolutely. than just like rolling over a blank screen and god i, I love this movie. i love how it starts out and oh god it's yeah and the other thing too is because i was expecting something a little bit more like the wild one um I was surprised that right from the get-go, James Dean is an incredibly emotional figure. Like he, I expect him to be much more of like, a, I'm a cool dude. I'm going to be closed off emotionally, and 
you know, the women are going to fall for me despite the fact that I'm an asshole. And that's not it at all. Like he's a very sensitive figure while also trying to stand up like he is what I'm what I actually picture when I think of what real masculinity is in a certain uh, there is a bit of toxicity there in the way that like they called me chicken. So I had to fight they called me chicken, which yeah. is obviously where like the stuff from back to the future comes from, which is funny. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a point where it's like, yeah, he stands up for what he believes in and that's good. But also when he does that, like he's so misguided and he doesn't understand what he's going through. And ultimately him doing that leads to the death of another person to, Oh, I guess I probably shouldn't spoil things, but whatever the movie um, is literally 70 years old. So I've never seen it before, but like the scene where they do the, the car race thing to the chicken fight over a cliff rather than going at each other legitimately shocked me. I had, I did not expect that to happen at all. Like it was horrifying. Um, and then just like where it goes in the end. Oh my God. I, I don't want to spoil the ending because if you have never seen it, there is something so just emotionally raw about following these characters and being invested in them and then getting to the end and seeing what happens and how they deal with their own issues and the issues of the people they care about and how society deals with them. Like you need to go on that journey to get to the end. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's I, really an extraordinary movie. I, I I don't want to spoil it, but I do want to say, holy crap, it's relevant to what we're dealing with now. Yeah, a hundred percent. Just um, mm, <laughs> like like yeah. I I got angry not at the movie, but like it it just refueled mm-hmm. some of that anger of current societal ills of like. Mm, it's mm. also really yep. funny too because I it's I, it's funny because. Since this movie's made in the fifties, uh, I'm used to seeing this era depicted in seventies popular. Like I've learned in this over the course of this that most of what I know about fifties popular culture actually comes from the seventies and eighties. Yeah, uh, like from movies like American Graffiti, Grease, uh, Back to the Future to a certain extent. Um, so it's funny to watch a movie that was actually made in the fifties, and I was like, whenever the teenagers are rebelling and they're like, they don't swear. Um, there's there's a part where yeah, some of that might have just point. also been the like Hollywood code keeping them from actually doing that. Cause... Exactly, exactly, and that's what yeah. that's what's that's what's really it feels incongruous because I feel like these these kids should be swearing whenever they're like yelling at each other and stuff. But at one point, like the main uh, bully antagonist character calls someone a poop head, which was <laughs> <fucking> hilarious. <laughs> it's it's like there's this thing that and it's. I guess it's just a product of it. It kind of took me out of it a few times, but at the same time, another way to read it, I think is like, these are kids who are playing at being hard, who are playing at being badasses, but really they're just scared and they're posturing to make themselves seem like they are, you know, stronger than they actually are. Yep. Um, and that, I think maybe the language, it reinforces that a little bit. I don't know, man. I have, well, I have some thoughts about this and, I once again, just about every single movie that we are very briefly mentioning, I would love for us to go back and do full episodes on all of them. Um, But with some of that, like acting hard, let's then jump in to the wild one because I, I had never seen uh, the wild one or rebel without a cause. I did know more about rebel without a cause in terms of like, I knew that it was going to be a drama. I like the, you're tearing me apart. I knew that it was going to be more of that rather than the, Hey, daddy, you, um, 
<laughs> but I hadn't seen either of them. I watched the wild one first and I go back and forth on whether or not I feel like that was the right decision. I, I think that it was because I think that if you just get out of the emotional roller coaster of uh, rub without a cause wild one, I think is going to feel a little bit more boring. Mm-hmm. But if you watch the wild one first, then you can be a little bit more invested in, in I their think, struggles. But... I think that the wild one probably inspired certain things in rebel without a cost too. like for one thing, the title I would, I mean, I don't know if it's, if it's directly related to that, but I think the wild one probably yeah, started the, some kind of cultural conversation, first, right? It was first. It was yeah. 1951, 53, you know, 53. Okay. And, and then rebel was, rebel was 55. 55. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I oh, also, yeah, I have to, I have to mention just one thing that I forgot about, um, going back to in rebel without a cause where the kids are posturing. There is actually a line, um, with Natalie Wood's character where she says, you shouldn't believe what I say when I'm with them. Nobody acts sincere. Um, to kind of go back to like, we are just pretending to be other people when we're around. Yeah. Leaders. Uh, and then we'll kind of segue that into the wild one because there's a lot of that going on. Oh, God, I, I love the wild one. I, I don't want to say that I love one more than the other because I love them both equally for very different reasons, but I wasn't expecting the wild one to have as much drama as it did. Like I was expecting it to be more of, yeah, just like a a rough and tumble motorcycle gang. I wasn't expecting just about every single thing that Marlon Brando said to be like, you know what? I get it. I might not necessarily agree with it, but yeah, I get it. Like, yeah, strongly disliked the first 30 minutes of this movie you're wrong i well i but, but here's the thing and i like in retrospect i love it now because the first 30 minutes of the movie you are supposed to hate these people you're supposed to hate this motorcycle gang they come in and they start raising hell and they're assholes and marlon brando comes in he tries to like he's a dick to the uh to the girl at the bar and um like the whole and the in the movie in a way I think was trying to make them seem cool, which I was really not sure how I felt about. It's like, yeah, these people are doing horrible things and the movie is acting like this is a cool thing for them to do. See, but what I, I think love that about it was, that I, it, I think that it was presenting. It was they were all. doing like Marlon Brando didn't do much. Like he was just there. It were the people, it was the people who were around him who were causing some of the issues, and but the even problem, the, well, think, here's the thing brando seemed very sympathetic in the beginning despite the fact that he is like he's the kind of the strong silent type i mean he's he's the one who is he's a bad boy but he's also got a sensitive side and i was like no he's a piece of shit like he is being he is treating this girl horribly and they're trying to make us sympathize with him See, but then by I, the end of it, it i made don't me... think that he was treating her horribly he does later <laughs> but he does yeah but like i viewed it more as he I viewed it more as everything that he was doing was through the lens of his own pain and struggle. And one of the things that I did love, and again, so freaking relevant to where we're at currently. Yeah. The motorcycle gang might've been kind of dickish and they might've been, you know, a little bit of hooligans. However, um, the dude in the car shouldn't have run over him. And so like, even when the motorcycle gang is doing things that are maybe not, great um i don't feel like they deserved as much of uh what happened to them as as what actually did mm-hmm. and the things that were happening to them is what was causing them 
to get ramped up even more. So exactly. it's like if you had really, run over him, maybe they wouldn't be destroying the town. That's what's kind of brilliant about the movie, I think, because by the end of it, it forced me to re-examine my bias. Yep. Because at the beginning, like it felt like they were trying to set Brando apart from the gang and make him like, oh, he's not as bad as these other guys, but he's the leader of them. And I was like, no, if he's the leader of them, then he is just as bad. He's allowing it to happen. He should be. He should not be allowing them to because these people come in and they're really bad. Like they're destroying property. That no, they they <laughs> they no no. Because no, I'm, I'm going to stop you there because they're not coming in and destroying property. They're coming in and again maybe being rambunctious. They're stealing things and they're being rambunctious. They're being rowdy. They're causing chaos. However, okay, they. First off, they didn't steal that trophy until after the cop was like, if y'all don't leave here. So like to me, and and I think that I actually watched this. No, no, I did. I watched this before all of the riots uh, and before all of the protests. And, um, and even, even before the immediate current uh, climate, there was still enough of the, oh, you know what? Yeah, there's plenty of people in today's society who are still treated like this, exactly, where yeah. the cops were already being mean to them because of the way that they looked. And granted, it was based off of the clothes that they were wearing rather than the color of their skin, but it was a, oh, you are in a gang, you are a hoodlum, you therefore are bad and don't belong here. Right, and, and that's why I end up, I end up really yeah. loving the movie by the end, because... The movie, by the end, you get a whole mob of people who come in and try to run them out of town. And yep. that ends up leading to someone's death. Yep. Um, it's a kind of, I mean, I know it's a but bit of a spoiler, but you, I think you that get it's the important. vigilantes coming in uh, with the. <sighs> you, you, you get the white people coming in saying, well, I'm going to take care of my own justice. Exactly. Um, yeah. I like that the movie, in the end, has so much empathy. For these characters and they recognize that they are acting out because of the hand that they've been dealt in life and it like i said it forced me to re-examine my own bias and it was like yeah i am being one of these shitty people i am being one of those people who says oh well what are they what do they have to riot why do they have to act out blah 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 yeah i was that person at the beginning of the movie and by the end especially for something made in the 50s the amount of empathy they show him while also not entirely letting uh letting strabler off the hook letting marlon brando's character off the hook like it's like, yes, a man was killed, and your behavior, in part, is responsible for that. However, everything else that was going on in this community also led to that. And the way that we reacted to you was not appropriate. And yep. I love the amount, the mutual understanding they have, and where he's like, I'm, I, I hope I don't regret this, but I'm going to let you go. And I, again, I hate that I'm spoiling this, but at the same time, I have to talk about this, because it informs so much of what I love about this movie. Yeah. Is that like, was it in the end, did they make the right decision? Was it a good idea to let him go and let him go back out into the, into the world? And I think that the, the thing is like, it might, it may have been the right decision. It may not have been the right decision, but the fact that they showed him compassion, empathy, absolutely could have changed his life. And it kind of gets into what is justice and should we lock people up whenever they commit crimes or do we need to address the underlying cause? And this movie I think is arguing that there is an underlying cause that so often goes unaddressed. Yeah. And like, I still question in part because they just didn't really show this uh, in the movie, how much of um, there wasn't really 
much of the like gang acting out on the town until mm-hmm. like after the town started acting out on them so exactly, like yeah. they They're, were perfectly they fine the situation yeah they were perfectly fine to just be in the bar just getting drunk and like as far as i know they were paying for it because surely the owner wouldn't have kept serving them that much if he wasn't getting paid at mm-hmm. least somewhat as they were going through um and, and so i feel like the the bikers weren't even really doing anything even when um they were rowdy for sure yeah I mean, they were like rowdy a- but even when marlo brando was fighting lee marvin in the street which by the way i love the fact that he is in this movie lee oh marvin my god is he, that was the other thing in the beginning i was kind of bored with brando's character and also i have a hard time buying marlon brando as a badass because of his voice like he has such a like <laughs> no man, I, kind of I dug it. Voice. I love it. I didn't. I didn't. And also, I love. I do love though that Brando, like the outfit he was wearing, was his. They was they were his own clothes, and he was riding his own motorcycle. Like Brando <laughs> is kind of that character. Yeah. Um. But anyway, like when Lee Marvin comes into the picture, I was like, okay, this is what I want. Lee Marvin's character has so much personality, and is so fun that I liked like he was kind of a breath of fresh air when he rides into town. Like I loved the thing that I love cartoon pirate. (laughs) The thing that I loved about it is, uh, the motorcycle gang, the, uh, was it the BRMC black rebel motorcycle motorcycle? Yeah. Black rebel motorcycle club named after them. (sighs) Nowadays, I imagine the band, I imagine the band is not good. Just they're a fairly popular ish band. Like they've, their music's been in a, Quite a bit of popular yeah. culture. I, I'll and I'll and listen like and uh, I don't I'll really know their music Anyways, that well. I just am doesn't matter aware that they exist. So uh, yeah, so when the BRMC rides into town, like they're not getting into fights. You know, they they might be angry at that dude who ran over one of them, but they weren't assaulting that guy. They were taking him out of his out of his car, but they weren't assaulting him. When Lee Marvin, they they might have been sure they were trying. They were creating. They were causing friction. Sure, but, but they weren't getting in fights. Lee Marvin showed up, and then Brando and Marvin fought each other. But mm-hmm. like to me, it was almost a the motorcycle gang isn't going to just start up a fight and start attacking innocent people. Like I, I don't know. Yeah. To me, it just seemed like all of the fear of oh no, these people in our society are only going to cause trouble. It's like, but are are they, or is that just your own fear and bias? Well, and that gets into like things that are happening again nowadays. Like I, yep. I'm so sick of, especially in the South, you hear it all the time where people talk about things like rioting and there's, there's so much of this internalized racism where I can't tell you how many times as a white person growing up in the South, I heard people like, yeah, these black people, they're just killing each other and they need to, if they stop killing each other, we wouldn't have all these problems and police wouldn't be killing them and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, the problem is that the, there are some of these black communities where they're growing up in poverty because they are not given the same opportunity. Yep. And in the fifties, of course, there's still segregation. So you don't get actual, you know, they're not actually addressing issues of systemic racism because racism was far more than just systemic. I mean, I mean, it was, it was, it was was blatant in every white America, American. Um, But you can see that in, in movies like this with, you know, these, these motorcycle groups and you know teenagers acting out and things yeah i i i almost feel um i i completely agree with you uh on on all of those things um i almost feel like the wild one actually hit me harder 
because I wasn't expecting it to be quite as emotional as it got. And so by the end of it, I was a little bit more just like, I, man, the world has always sucked. Whereas in uh, Rebel Without a Cause, I was expecting more of it. And so it was just kind of like, yep, just as strong as I thought it would be. Um, yeah. But we have so many more things to talk about. But I do I want to quickly man, we didn't ask. Talk about Johnny and Kathy. Well, so when, I, he, when he abducts her, he, he comes to the rescue to rescue her from his own gang. And the way that she responds is it's like he assaults her. Like he straight up assaults her. Oh, sure. And like I'm not saying she, that he is a perfect character. Yeah, he I feel like I, he is very sympathetic. And even the wrong decisions that he makes, they they feel like the person pushed against the wall who's like, yeah, what else are you gonna, like? What would you do in this situation? If you would lived his life, how would you be responding? Would you handle it better? And that conversation even between perfect, her, God, I love him. Between Kathy and him in the park is fascinating, too, because she's like, like, it almost it almost seems like they're trying to set up a romance between them. And what you learn, like by the end of it, she's like, no, I don't love him. Despite the fact that she was so enamored of him and wanted to help him. But I think that she recognized, like she was attracted to the sense of freedom that he has and the way that he, yeah, she was dealing with her own rebellion, right? She was dealing with her own rebellion and she was attracted to that. And that's what ultimately wanted her to help him because she understood why he behaved the way that he did. Um, And she was like, yeah, I'm not afraid of you, but you're afraid of me. You're afraid of, commitment and being or like just the implications of what like an actual relationship could be or something. I don't know. It's fascinating. It's also one of those movies that takes place all in one day, which I love. Yeah. Um, it's almost like a hangout movie. God, I mean, I, so in the, in our notes of things that we were going to discuss, one of the things that we had on there was James Dean versus Marlon Brando, um, which I, I really want us to talk about, but there's also a few more things that I do want us to get through. Yep. So, um, I, I, well, so, see, here's the that's, thing. That's all you need to say. No. <laughs> um, I feel like, hmm. at least in terms of, I didn't, I wanted to watch uh, on the waterfront too. I wanted to watch more Brando movies because I feel like I didn't get a good gauge of, I don't know. His performance in this movie was so well, the, the question is very specifically uh, Rebel Without a Cause versus Wild One, yeah. which, again, like we, we kind of touched on. So um, my answer on uh, James Dean or Marlon Brando is I feel like Rebel Without a Cause is a prequel to the Wild One. So it's hard for me to say one or the other because I feel like they're taking place at two very different points. So well, you can James imagine, Dean. Well, you can imagine like before uh, before. I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you. Oh, no, you're fine. Um, I'm just saying, you can imagine if uh, Johnny Strabler, Marlon Brando's character, before he rode into town, you can imagine that Rebel Without a Cause is something that could have actually happened in his past that caused him to wait. Yeah, like, like that's the thing, is James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause is is dealing with all of the, like, not knowing how to respond to things and, um, you know, growing up in a family that uh, he doesn't get as much support as, as what he's looking for and not knowing, you know, like, he tries going to the cops to do what's right and they just completely ignore him. And so, like, he's trying so hard to to do what's right to bring right to the world and then the world still turns on him and i could very very easily see him being like all right well 
fine. If the world's going to turn on me over and over and over again, I guess it's time that I turn on the world. And yeah, then absolutely. being that more, uh, more of just that cool guy, just shut down, you know, nods, not really caring about people, but still very deeply caring. I mean, the entire reason that, uh, like Brando got so, um, the, the entire reason that he was fighting against people was whenever they did anything involving taking away that trophy that his friends stole for him. And I love too that it's a second place trophy. And it's not even a first place trophy. It's a second place trophy. And it's like, oh man, that is so like he doesn't even yeah, he, like it's just showing you his yeah, end in and, life. And well, like, and like the reasoning is, oh, the first place trophy was too big to steal. But it's like, yeah, no, no, it's he is fighting just to be second at best and i just love the symbolism man i love it i yeah rebel without a cause might be a better movie but i think that i like the wild one more the wild one's definitely got a scrappier kind of energy to it and again like it it does hit you in a very surprising way by the end where rebel without a cause kind of announces what it is right up front yeah so uh God, we, we always try to take on too much. So speaking of <laughs> people trying to rebel, uh, and not even necessarily rebel, but just find their own independence, um, the 50s is when you do start seeing a lot more of just like those those drive-in theaters and those B-movies and, you know, like kids just going out for a good time. I, I don't know what kids did in the 40s, I but like it feels like in the 50s you started having a war. sense. They were off to war. They were well, in I guess war. you mean. Yes. <laughs> I don't know they what they did for fun. Those 18-year-old kids being slaughtered in Europe. and Yeah, but yeah. like it feels like... Um, Civic. It, it feels like in the 50s you start getting a sense of... But you start getting more uh, like teen um, teen protagonist. You start getting more of like the teen movies where you're following, uh, you know, a bunch of kids on vacation or like uh, the first one that I watched. Um, the first one that I watched this month leading up to the 50s technically wasn't released until the 60s, but on the DVD multipack that it's in, um, it, it was made in the 50s. So I was going based off of what the DVD said, not what, um, uh, not what letterbox said, but it was the, uh, oh crap. No, it's not even showing up because it was in the sixties. Yeah. So let me, let me scroll down so I can find it. It was, um, it, it, it was something I've got a whole lot of them that I've got to scroll through just a second. Uh, but it was a bunch of kids. Oh, bloodlust. Bloodless, yeah, yeah. Yeah, according to six or according to IMDB it came out in sixty one, but it um yeah, it was made back in the fifties. Uh two couples are on a boating trip when they come across an uncharted island. The four investigate and find themselves in the clutches of Dr. Albert Below, whose hobby is hunting both animals and humans. The group tries to escape only to be thwarted by Dr. Below and his henchmen. So it has a little bit of the most dangerous game, um uh hmm. plot wise. But like yeah, it's like a bunch of college kids. Well, people playing college kids they look like they were about 40 um but you start getting more of the we're following teens and and college kids who are getting into these perilous situations and they have to fight their way out and um and and i feel like that was so indicative of kids coming back from war and it's like yeah you know there were 16 year old kids dying for our freedom and dying for the freedom of the world 
and they don't know how to deal with that. And, and so I've never really thought about that until literally mm-hmm. just now that I wonder if that's part of why so many horror movies have teens as their protagonists. It's obviously mm-hmm. some of the TNA, but I wonder if some of it is also like showing that, uh, that showing that teens are dealing with a lot more of the horrors of the world because they are trying to struggle on how to deal with them. Once you're an right. adult, you've been through that, mm-hmm. but yeah, but, that, and they're so often dismissed. I mean, you know, parents and it's, it's interesting too, because parents, when a lot of times I feel like when you're dismissing your child's concerns, it's like, Oh yeah, well I'm an adult and my concerns are so much bigger than, you know, what you're, you know, your oh, Eric, you know, thing. all concerns matter. Yeah, but, but like it's, it's interesting because because like uh, there's like in Rebel Without a Cause there's a scene where it's like oh Jim in ten years you're gonna look back at yourself and laugh and it's yeah. like that is the wrong thing to say to a teenager because yes in the grand scheme of things the things that they're worry about worrying about may seem trivial to an adult because you've already been through it like you said but for a teenager they don't know any better and it's like that is their world that is yeah like you know, their you- high school your high school crush is the only person you've ever loved or and you know, when somebody dismisses it as like just a silly little, do you, a silly do you little thing. Any idea how many teens commit suicide because of constant "oh, you'll understand when you're older," yeah. and that being heard as your problems don't matter? Exactly. Yeah. And and yeah, like I I do I do wonder if that's part of what shaped the uh, the current trend of teens and horror movies because like before the fifties. You have things like like Dracula and and Frankenstein, and people it's don't like, believe teenagers too when they well yeah, and obviously they like, don't. Oh, believe there's teenagers, a blob in town, but... and it's like okay, thirty year old teenager Steve McQueen. <laughs> no, he's just I always looked thirty. That's, that's <laughs> true. Um, but yeah, like older horror movies, it was like an individual doing something horrific. So it was like Dracula. And, uh, you know, like Van Helsing having to fight against Dracula or it was Dr. Frankenstein and the villagers having to fight against him. And so, like, the shape of horror changed uh, as you have more teens coming back from war. And I feel like the this is part of why I love horror movies so much. I feel like horror reflects the other things that you see in society. So, you know, you start getting more teens horror movies. And so then you start getting more like teen surf movies and you start getting more like these other, uh, movies focusing on, Oh yeah. Like let's, let's focus on the youth because, (laughs) because they're the ones who have been out there doing things. Mm -hmm. Um, but but yeah, so like you have a lot more of like teens just trying to find their own independence, and and so you do have more uh, teen protagonists. You have more of those beach movies. You have more drive-in movies. Not only like movies where you go to a drive-in to watch them, but you also start seeing like some of that pop up in the movies that you're watching. And um, well, yeah, and I mean, yeah. teenagers are going to be because this is when television was prevalent, became pre- prevalent in American homes. So. Um, you know, the teenagers are the ones who are going out while their parents stay in to watch TV or whatever. So it's like the market reflects that in a certain way where you're making movies aimed for teenagers about teenagers. Um, and then also you're seeing like the big spectacle movies too, to compete with TV and seeing things like drive-ins to make it 
sense to make it to give it to basically make it set, set itself apart and things like 3d and cinemascope and all those things so with 3d uh i just very quickly want to mention robot monster which i had watched the mystery science theater 3000 version of before and you know laughed because i i love mst3k but this is the first time that i had actually watched it on its own and uh it, it is legitimately a really good movie. There are some just ridiculous lines in there. Like, I must, but I can't. Oh, I, I love it. <laughs> it's so much fun. Um, but yeah, even with like cheesy 3D style movies, that was still focusing on the atomic age. And like, there was still uh, a bit of like youth being the protagonists and youth being the people mm-hmm. who, who save the world. And uh, yeah, sci-fi movies sci-fi movies it's it's another part of that big spectacle like we want to show you things you've never seen before on film things you can't see on tv yeah and and they were all billed as like the most shocking thing that you're ever going to see oh that's i forgot that they do that in the beginning of the wild one they're like this story you're about to see is shocking and like a little like thing that pops up on screen it's so funny oh i I was watching one uh yesterday i think called terror terror is a man i think uh and and it's sort of like frankenstein meets uh island of dr moreau sort of but it's also kind of boring um but yeah like even that one has a warning at the front saying uh like you know there's a scene in this movie so shocking that uh some of you might not be able to handle it when you hear a bell uh close your eyes and then when you hear the bell again you can open them up so that william castle kind of i i don't remember anything in the movie that made me go oh and sure i'm desensitized because whatever i've seen things like texas chainsaw massacre so in the 50s but like I, you mentioned Texas Chainsaw because Texas Chainsaw has very little actual on-screen violence. It does, but much, some of the very, things that you see are yeah. like so just like um, Anyway, sorry. But but yeah, uh Find yeah, I, don't, I don't remember anything. I don't remember anything in Terror is a Man that made me jump even a little bit. Um but, but with a 50s audience though it's funny because it is it probably was genuinely shocking and unlike anything and in the 50s too it's kind of like especially in the later 50s is when you really see people pushing boundaries a lot more um because the production code like really weakened during this time because uh well i mean i guess you probably trace it back to like in 48 they had those hollywood antitrust laws that were passed and the studios didn't uh own the theaters anymore so they didn't control distribution and you had foreign films that were not you know didn't were pushing boundaries and oh dude uh, let's let's talk about some of those uh foreign code. films that pushed boundaries because even <clears throat> though i've ever since i started learning about horror movies i've known about the hammer horror films yeah i have i've hardly watched any of them and like i i hate saying that because it's like ah man as much as i love horror movies how could i not have seen more hammer horror films uh before now but that's part of why we're doing this series is to remedy mm-hmm. some of those movies that we've not seen yeah, I haven't watched so them. i'm sad i wanted ooh, to but god I so i i watched uh the hammer dracula movie and um I, I think it's the horror of dracula i think and letterboxd is just dracula and then the curse of frankenstein and revenge of frankenstein um both of which have peter cushing and christopher lee um in in dracula christopher lee is dracula peter cushing is van helsing in frankenstein peter cushing is frankenstein and christopher lee is the monster and 
as, as much as I love the Universal Monster movies, as much as they will always have a special place in my heart, oh my god, the Hammer Horror films are amazing. Like, you've heard me talk before about how much I love uh, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, and those are like two perfect movies that will yes, never be topped. True. The Curse of Frankenstein and Revenge of Frankenstein, I feel like might be two of the best Frankenstein movies that have ever been made because like it, it gets at a lot of that hubris that you see in, uh, in James Whale's Frankenstein, but mm. the movies like actually progress in a logical manner rather than all of those other Frankenstein sequels where it's literally just bringing the exact same monster back to life. Like, Oh, he can't be killed until we kill him. And then the next movie, <laughs> Oh, we revived him because he can't be killed until we kill him. <laughs> in uh in the curse of frankenstein and revenge of frankenstein like things change and he actually gets better at what he does and there's reasons why things are different and i i i I love these movies i cannot wait until this pandemic is over so that you can borrow them because they are required viewing for horror fans yeah i've got to watch them i've been wanting to for so long they're so good um, all right, we we are running short on time. One of the things that I definitely wanted us to talk about uh, at least a little bit was, and, and this does directly tie into um, a lot of what we've been talking about in terms of the like rebellious youth and um, whether that rebellion is going out and joining a motorcycle gang or just going surfing and ignoring everything else. There is just a there is such a prevalent sense of trying to find one's own identity in just about every single movie from the fifties, uh, along with the ones that we've already talked about. And of course my letterboxd app, uh, reset itself. So I have to get back to my list of what I saw from the fifties. So give me one second while <laughs> I get back there and I'm still talking because you know, dead air on a podcast is not good. So, um, so of all the movies that I watched from the fifties and yes, I'm about to list them because it matters in dealing with this bigger topic of, um, of just finding identity. You're listing Vert- all 44 movies. Yes. <clears throat> really? Vertigo rear window singing in the rain. Um, the seventh seal North by Northwest. Some like it hot. Alice in Wonderland. Rebel without a cause. Peter Pan. Cinderella. Sleeping Beauty. Roman Holiday. Lady in the Tramp. Ben Hur. Godzilla. Body Snatchers. Sabrina. American in Paris. Creature from the Black Lagoon. One of my favorite all-time movies. The Day the Earth Stood, Stood Still. Forbidden Planet. House on a Haunted Hill. Dracula. The Blob. The Fly. An Affair to Remember. The Curse of Frankenstein. Animal Farm. Monkey Business. The Wild One. Jailhouse Rock. Desk Set. Revenge of Frankenstein. Suddenly. Robot Monster. Return of the Fly. The Giant Leeches. Giant Gila Monster. The Man from Planet X. The Black Scorpion. Terror is a man, man in the attic, warning from space, hot rod girl. <clears throat> so that wasn't too bad. All of those movies that I just listed, if they didn't already fit into those other themes of uh, like atomic age or uh, or rebellion, like they all deal with either mistaken identity or trying to find who you actually are. Uh, or I, pretending I watched, to be someone else, or pretending to be someone else, like in some like it hot, mm. <laughs> which I did not expect to laugh at that movie as much as I did. And also, there's a lot of things very problematic with it. I don't know. I, 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 I see what you mean. I don't think it's nearly as problematic as I would have expected. No, um, I, I feel like it is a product of its times sort of problematic. Like, I don't think that it's intentionally going out of its way to say <laughs> this is like transgressive. And I think yeah, it's more of still, just... I think that it is an extraordinarily progressive film for, for the time. <laughs> like, I was really blown away by how, 
especially like with the very last line of the movie. Yep. Which is one of the greatest last lines in a movie of all time. <laughs> uh, with nobody's perfect. Well, yep. nobody's perfect. It is so good. Oh my god. Anyway, some like it high is. I didn't find it like super laugh out loud funny the whole time. Um, but it oh, is not the entire time. But there were times that I laughed that I laughed out loud. It's mostly chuckle kind of stuff. Um, but it's such an engaging movie, and the performances are so great. And this is the only Marilyn Monroe movie I've ever seen, and I never understood the appeal of Marilyn Monroe just because of I mean basically all I knew about her was as a sex symbol or whatever but like despite the fact that she apparently is not a great actress in terms of like remembering lines and causing problems on set with her eccentricities and things uh well no I mean like her she had a very her personal life was a struggle and she oh no yeah (laughs) had a very like had so many image issues and things but anyway um she is a star like she is absolutely magnetic and i completely understand why she's so beloved after yeah. seeing something like that now well, it, makes and so much, it makes so much more sense to me and not just as like a sex symbol as an attractive woman as a personality it also well it also really depends on who she's paired up with uh because i've only True, seen like yeah. two or three of her movies but it has to be a good <laughs> pairing of uh, sort of like a vaudevillian straight man and uh, mm. and comic relief where she is more of the comic relief, but mm. it also like, she also has to be paired with a comic straight man. If that makes yeah. sense. Like yeah, if, if they're incredible. Yeah. Like if so they're, if they are too straight in terms of like not having any comedy whatsoever, then it just doesn't work because it feels like two different movies. Um, but, but yeah, like pairing against Tony Curtis or Jack Lemon, where like they're both being a little silly. Yeah. But like she kind of emphasizes that. Or, um, mm-hmm. oh, I'm trying to remember the other one that I saw where like she's a secretary and, uh, and there's a monkey involved. It's, oh, I don't uh, know what that I, is. I can't remember. Anyways, um, yeah, she's she's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, yeah, so well, like, like the, the identity they're they pretending to be women to escape from mobsters and uh, and basically learning what it's like to be a woman in the United States and seeing like how difficult it can be, did, which I thought was a nice touch. Um, well, that was that was an unintentional pun. Um, hey, did uh, did you expect <clears> them <throat> to to show quite as much violence as they did? Granted, slightly off screen, but you see how many people are on screen the camera pans to the guns and you see the machine gun fire. It's like, Oh, they just like straight up slaughtered like 15 people. You see the bloody aftermath of it too. Like it's, it's bloody. Like there is blood in this movie. It's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I I was not expecting that side of it in this movie too. like the amount that they can get get away with showing, especially like in that train sequence, (laughs) Marilyn Monroe and her nighty that barely covers anything. Uh, it was pretty surprising, but also I learned later that this was one of those movies that was not uh, did not get the stamp of approval from the production code because at a certain point all they could do was say, "Yeah, we approve it or no, we don't," but we can't control whether or not you put it in the theater anymore. So yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's very different than it is now. Uh, but yeah. yeah, like a a huge theme of trying to be someone else uh, in Singing in the Rain. You know, the, the entire plot of that is the uh, the main actress lady like just. To, she can't sing and she barely can talk with the I can't stand him like that that line is going to be just always so burned in my mind um, well, the whole movie itself is really just about the upheaval in Hollywood in general whenever with the uh, advent of sound and um, 
And I mean, a lot of that really, I think, relates to, you know, the there's just a the whole United States kind of went through an identity crisis after World War Two with, you know, all the GIs coming home and, you know, the women were expected to quit their jobs that they had been working while the men were all fighting in the war. And then they had to go back to the household and you know, there was a lot of dissatisfaction. And then, of course, the men were kind of lost to and suffering from PTSD and not really knowing what to do after going through something so horrible and tragic and losing their their sense of identity there and, yep. and then how that affects the teens of course in the 50s and uh yeah man it's uh, and like even with some of the disney movies like, like peter so pan like peter pan is all about not wanting to grow up not mm-hmm. wanting to turn into these evil adults uh cinderella you know that's about being someone who, who you are and sure like you know the disney cartoons also have the but people need to see your inner beauty so it's more about embracing who you are than being who you're not <clears throat> but uh but still you know you've got um alice in wonderland movie yeah well, oh sorry you're still doing disney. yeah i was doing disney with alice in wonderland where you know her entire thing is on this acid trip of discovering sort of her own place in the world and, and her own strengths um Lady and the Tramp, you know, it's about a lady falling in love with a tramp. I, th- there's even in Disney movies, there's so much <laughs> themes. <laughs> I just love the way it's about- <laughs> it's it's about a lady falling in love with a tramp. It's about <laughs> what class, a- whatever. Um, yeah, so so even in things. the Disney movies, it it is a theme that you can't escape, and absolutely in Hitchcock, you've got Rear Window, where um where the guy thinks that he sees something, but no one else believes him, and so like he's questioning his own sanity, and then in Vertigo, which I hate saying that this was the first time that I saw Vertigo, but this was the first time that I saw Vertigo, and. Mm. I loved it and then I hated it and then I got to the end and it's like, oh, I was supposed to hate parts of it. I love it even more now. And just yeah. that that toxic, uh, obsessive, controlling relationships and oh, God. I, yeah, we've I've deliberately avoided talking about Hitchcock because Hitchcock is one of the one of the non blind spots. I feel like I have I've seen quite a few of his movies um but yeah the 50s this is when hitchcock was at his best i mean this is he had strangers strangers on a train dialing for murder rear window vertigo uh uh north by northwest i mean and then yeah. psycho right when, there at the tail end at the beginning of the 60s i mean what a run of movies there when, were a few other ones in there too that i haven't seen but. when we eventually go through and like uh do a series focusing specifically on directors we are of course going to deal with hitchcock because Oh man, so much to be said about every single one of his movies. Um, and yeah, North by Northwest is about case of mistaken identity and chasing Cary Grant because they think he's somebody else. They think he's this, you know, secret agent, and then he kind of ends up inadvertently becoming a secret agent because of it. And then, yep, um, Jailhouse Rock is about Elvis, uh, like thinking that he's some great big movie star and or great big music star, and then becoming that, but the entire time kind of being a rotten person. Um, there, there's just so much of like loss of identity or figuring out who you are. And, and again, like even in these escapist movies, like you can't avoid it. And even in romances, even in, um, uh, an American in Paris or Sabrina, like that is just such a, a constant theme that well, you've again, got like, oh, like night of the hunter. Um, th- have you seen night of the hunter? You, I, I have know. not. No, that's, Man, that's one of that's hunter still a big blind spot for me is an extraordinary movie. And it's essentially 
Robert Mitchum as the big bad wolf. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He comes yeah. in and, uh, you know, the, the it's about these kids who whose father um, stole a bunch of money and he hid it somewhere and only the kids know where it is. Um, and then Robert Mitchum hears about it and uh, their father ends up dying or whatever. And Robert Mitchum marries their mother and is basically he's, he's pretending to be a preacher. Yeah. Um, so, and that's how he ingratiates himself with everyone in the town with their mother. And then it turns out that he is just like this horrible human being who will murder anyone. Like that's his whole MO is he goes and marries widows, takes them for all their worth and then leaves or murders them. Um, yeah, that, it that is, one has been on my list for a while. I, an incredible yeah. movie. Um, and then I think, I think this probably fits here. I want to, I want to mention one movie. Do you have anything else in particular that you want to mention? Uh, the only thing that I was going to say, just a, a broader theme with this, uh, and then we can talk about uh, whatever movie you've got lined up and then, you know, may, maybe just kind of hit some highlights or some of the other ones that we didn't talk about and which themes they fall in. Um, but of course, themes of identity are just ongoing themes of humanity. I mean, you know, go back to classic Greek literature, and that is going to be a driving theme. Uh, like, th- there's... Uh, it's not like the fifties brought this about for the first time and no one had ever seen it before. It's an ongoing theme. Like it's something that you're going to be hard pressed to find a movie that doesn't fit in with that. But because of so many of the other, um, because of so many of the other themes that were directly post-war, I feel like just uh, again, that uh, constant human condition of trying to uh, figure out and understand who we are was driven home even stronger because of things like the atomic bomb and just that that pervasive question of was it the right thing to do you know like yes it ended the war period new sentence was that the way that it should have ended like were that many lives lost the way that this should have done and does that make america just as bad if not worse and so just that that question about humanity again, I feel like really was driven mm-hmm. home because of uh, the results of world war two. Yeah. That, sure. that, that was the, the big overarching point. Uh, all right. So your specific movie, and then there's a couple others that, that even though we didn't have a chance to talk about in depth, I do at least want to mention because yeah, I, I so many great movies from the fifties. I'm just, gonna, I think I'm probably just going to mention this one. I didn't actually watch this movie this time. I watched it for the first time last year, but I think that it is um, the probably the best movie of the decade that that I rarely hear people talk about. Um, and it's absolutely my favorite movie of the '50s. One of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and I would have to make sure that's mentioned. It is a, a Face in the Crowd. Uh, I haven't Elliot seen Kazan. that one either. Um, and it stars Andy Griffith. Um, you know, good old Andy Taylor of Mayberry as one of the most repugnant people you've ever seen in a movie without. I, okay. So basically uh, a face in the crowd is um, about the, a face in the crowd in the film is a radio segment where um, you have a reporter who will go and just interview somebody in the town. To so it's like man on the street kind of stuff. Exactly. It's man, yeah. it's man on the street. Um, and so they interviewed this guy who is in jail um, named uh, Larry Dusty Rhodes, and he is just the most charismatic, wonderful, like everything that pours out of Andy Griffith. It's Andy Griffith, um, and sure. everything that just pours out of his mouth is the most entertaining thing you've ever heard in your life. I mean, he is just a complete raconteur. 
And he ends up becoming famous over this A Face in the Crowd segment because everybody just loves him. Uh, they love his stories. They love the, the he's got a catchphrase for everything. He uh, every time he talks to somebody, he gives them a cute little nickname. Um, he's just like he's just the you. Everybody wants to be his best friend. Sure. Um, but, you, you know, you learn there's a reason that he is in jail and that he is somebody who is really kind of a horrible person. And he ends up saying a lot of horrible things and gets he gets like a television show and ends up saying all these horrible things. And what you learn, though, is that what he learns, at least, is that he can basically do anything that he wants with impunity because he has developed this cult of personality based well, around. When you're famous, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can. Nope. Don't finish I'm that not, line. No, I'm not, nope. not going to finish <laughs> that line. Um, but no, it is um, a terrible, evil, vile this, human being. It's basically like kind of a cautionary tale about television just a few years after television became so prevalent. And um, I don't know. I think it's one of the most prescient films I've ever seen in my life. It is the kind of movie that when you watch it, you completely understand how a horrible piece of shit like Donald Trump can be elected president. Yep. Because, I mean, that's basically what the cult of personality is. is a very powerful thing. Yeah, like there's a, I'll mention one scene. I don't want to give away too much about this movie. There's one scene that I think is so emblematic of just what's wrong with a lot of society and why I'm fascinated by media and why I, I want to defend it, but I also understand why it's so dangerous. Um, but there's a scene where on his show, uh, Larry Rhodes, he has a sponsor that's a mattress company and he talks shit about this mattress company on the air. And so they pull their advertising from his show. Um, and when they do that, his supporters, uh, his audience go out into the street and like start burning mattresses. And they're like, how dare you do this to blah, blah, blah. He's a good man. He didn't mean it. He's just having a, he's just having a lark. He's having fun. <laughs> Stop taking things he didn't so seriously. And then the mattress company learns that, that despite the fact that he was trashing their product, their sales went up by like 50% or something. And so they're like, oh, um, any publicity is good publicity um, kind of thing. And uh, I don't know, it just kind of gets to the, the way that whenever you are somebody who has like an ardent fan base who believes that you can do no wrong, um, you know, that's why you can get away with whatever you want to. And I think that it's just one of those movies that it's, I mean, first of all, it's just super entertaining. Andy Griffith gives one of the greatest performances I've ever seen in anything. It's, it's especially if you know him as Andy Taylor from the Andy Griffith show. I mean, like it is so unlike anything you would expect from him. Yeah. Uh, it's a shame he didn't do more movie roles, but anyway, um, I think that it's a fascinating movie that everybody should see. And hopefully you can watch a movie like that and understand um, that it's actually not okay for people to be able to, I don't know. I, I, I was going to say it's not okay for people to say whatever they want on social media, but I don't want to go that far because I don't believe in censoring people. But um, it kind of gets at like the whole thing where somebody can say, oh, don't believe the media. Don't believe everything everybody else is saying about me. You just need to believe what I'm, what I'm saying. You don't need to follow. Uh, you don't need to follow. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter Press how much. Or Washington Post. You need to just follow me on Twitter and everything that I say is absolute truth. I'm not going to uh, give you fake news like all the fake news media outlets out there. Yeah, it's it's like that meme with the um, with COVID nineteen of 
uh, I think, guys, I don't know. Like you've, we've got CDC, World Health Organization, um, Fauci. Like we've got all of these experts in the field who have been studying this their entire lives, telling me that coronavirus is, you know, a, a deadly pandemic. But we got Bob over here from high school and telling me that it's not. So I don't know who to yeah, believe. Exactly. Well, yeah, and in, is, in a face in the crowd, exactly what that. ends up happening is that politicians understand the influence that this man has, and they start leveraging him to speak out for them and to try and sway the public opinion on certain issues. And uh, yeah, man, it's a uh, it is a fascinating. I, I need to watch that one. Uh, I feel like it would pair very well with Wag the Dog, which it's been a while since I've seen Absolutely. that one. Yeah. But Wag I the Dog like Network, one. any of those kind of movies that are about media. Um, yeah. Uh, all right. So we don't have much time left, so we're not going to go in depth with these, but there are a few that I want to mention. Uh, we already mentioned some Hitchcock and we absolutely are going to go back and do fuller episodes on those. Um, uh, let's see. Um, oh, of course I have to mention creature from the black lagoon because it's one of my favorite all time movies. We've talked about it plenty. So there's not much more that I need to say about it right now, but I do love the fact in that one that uh that humans are the invading species and the creature was just you know living just keeping to himself and and then people went in disrupted his environment and caused things to be so much worse uh the day the earth stood still is still incredibly relevant and Mm -hmm. such a great movie and i did not expect to enjoy it as much as i did like it's one of the ones that i knew was a classic but I didn't expect going into it that I would leave it just be like, wow, that's a great movie. Uh, Forbidden Planet, I've seen plenty of times, and I I love this movie. It is very dear to my heart. There are so many problematic things with toxic masculinity and with like military culture, and I don't know how much of that was being done on purpose, like to highlight some of the ills of uh, toxic masculinity in the media or in the military. And how much of it was trying to present them as like the good guys. Um, but there are definitely some themes in there that can be t- uh, discussed in terms of the impact that it's had on society. And also the music is just atmospheric and haunting. And there are some scenes that are just so visually stunning that <clears throat> that even if you find yourself kind of just laughing a little bit at some of the lines that are very, very understandably laughable, you're going to hit a part where you are just going to be silent and just staring at the beauty of this movie. Love mm. forbidden planet. Um, the fly and return of the fly, both great movies that, um, that, that we're eventually going to cover in more detail because we're going to do the fly return of the fly and then the fly and, uh, son of the fly. Cause <laughs> there's, they're just a lot of fun. Um, Oh God! I wanted us to talk about suddenly a little bit. Um, oh yeah, I, I didn't get to finish that one. I did start it, and it was well, so weird. And here's the thing about was, suddenly: Frank Sinatra yeah. is a very charismatic individual, and suddenly is about as like pro America as you can get. Like a kid at the beginning is wanting to buy oh, like a oh little God. BB gun. And, uh, and his mom is like, no, I don't want guns in this house. Your father died in the war because of Mm. guns. And the grandfather is like, your husband would be ashamed of you for not letting your son have a gun. And the cop just like straight up buys him a gun. Cause like, oh, when I was your age, I bought a gun and, and he's doing like his worst, um, 
uh oh what's the actor's name who plays putty in seinfeld why am i drawing patrick warburton like he sounds like a robot (laughs) doing a bad impression of patrick warburton it's sterling hayden and i love sterling hayden but he's not in this movie man good in this movie and i hate hate the beginning of this movie because he buys that kid a gun and then he goes he he has a thing for the kid's mom and he he like confronts her in a grocery store and tells her he's like a boy needs a gun blah 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 and he's also like also why are you running me like he's basically like why won't you marry me yet and she's like i don't want to marry you and he's like oh you're gonna marry me you need to stop leading me on and it's like she straight up says no over and over again yep and you just are acting like she is playing with your emotions and all this stuff. there are so many things about suddenly that i'm like this is terrible and this is part of what is wrong with america not part of what is great about america and ooh, that movie made me so angry or like at one point the the grandfather is trying to fix a tv and uh and the mom so there's the grandfather the mom and the son um so the grandfather yeah, is household. yeah and i don't know their names because that doesn't matter frank sinatra is the only character in this movie with any sort of personality but the grandfather's Except trying to fix the, the very beginning yeah Sorry, even the, he was the man. cop the cop who's <clears> like <throat> Things move so slow around here. They're thinking of changing the name of the town to gradually. Suddenly, <laughs> the that, name of the town. That that line made me chuckle. But yeah, the so grandfather's anyway, trying mom. to fix a TV, and the mom is like, "What are you doing? Like, you need to be careful." There's whatever. Like, there's a reason that there are warnings on on the back of this to keep you from doing it yourself. And the grandfather's response to his daughter about like her concern of him not of her wanting him to not electrocute himself was stop being a woman and i i was so angry at so much of this movie the thing that turned it around for me there not that made me unangry because i'm still angry at a lot of this movie but when you actually get to frank sinatra and you actually get him like talking about the things that he's talking about it's like okay the things that he is saying provide a lot um, a basis for a dialogue about the impact that war has on society and the impact that politics have. Cause like he goes into one line spoilers, but whatever, but suddenly it's not really all that worth watching. I'm not recommending it unless you want to be mad at America. Um, but at, at one point uh, he he's there to assassinate the president and like the family and the cop are like, why are you doing this? Like, don't you love America? Blah, blah, blah. He's like, I don't care. Like, I'm not doing this for any sort of political reason. I'm doing this for money. And also, it doesn't matter. Like, I'll kill him. Someone else is going to take his place. It literally is not going to change anything. The only thing that's going to change is I'll be however many thousands of dollars richer. And and again, I'm not saying that I agree with that. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying that it does provide for some very interesting discussion of what role does and should the president play in America in terms of can one person make a difference? Does one person make a difference? Can they make differences for good or do they only make differences for bad? And, mm-hmm. and when he was talking, I was like, man, I would love to hear like a political podcast go in depth on, uh, on, on the themes of this movie. Mm-hmm. The movie itself kind of sucks, but Frank Sinatra again has charisma. Um, and, I think those were the only ones that I wanted to mention. Again, I watched a lot of like giant monster and atomic age <laughs> movies and they're fun. When you watch too many of them in a row, they all start bleeding together. It's all like, Oh, uh, I know, d- sure. yeah. Atomic age. Um, 
One um, thing that I don't remember if we did mention though with that theme is how many of these atomic age movies are outside agencies, whether it's aliens or, or giant monsters or whatever uh, that are basically saying the world has become too dangerous because it has discovered atomic weapons. So y'all need to chill or else we're going to destroy the world. Like that's the entire thing of the day. The earth stood still is, um, is, uh, what's his name? Um, the, the, the main dude, Klaatu, uh, he, he's there as a warning of if you don't stop killing each other, then we're going to have to destroy your planet because one, when all of this, uh, infighting and squabbling, we don't care about, but as soon as you discovered atomic weapons and your ability to get into space, you are now threatening us. So, uh, yeah, don't or, or else. And, and, and again, a lot of movies have that theme of humans are too dangerous to themselves. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I love, God, again, especially in light of where we currently are with protests, uh, he was trying to show the world that um, he was trying to show the world essentially the the power that is out there and to try to get people to understand and actually listen to him. And so he's talking to a scientist and because um, he had already tried talking to government officials and they wouldn't listen. He tried talking to these other people. They wouldn't listen. And so he's talking to a man of science and uh, and he's like, look, if they don't listen, I, I don't have many other options. Like violence is about the only option that I can use to show them. And uh, and then the scientist dude is like, find some other way to to get them to listen and and so uh the main guy's like okay disruptive without violent got to think about that and then he basically shuts down the world like that's where the title comes from is oh, like gotcha, yeah. every single mechanical thing stops except and i'm glad they pointed this out because i even said to jess when we were watching it wait a second wouldn't this end up killing like planes and hospitals uh anything that would have ended up killing people he didn't shut down so like planes in the air kept flying hospitals kept running but cars on the street all instantly stopped clocks stopped like everything that did not have someone's life immediately depending on it stopped so you're and, disrupting the lives of americans yes through an act of protest yes that doesn't actually hurt people but, yes. but just affects their property because you have to be able to affect someone for them to listen yes oh, and uh, i don't think that worked today well if, if there I'm was something kidding. that could stop everything, <laughs> but like it also highlighted that point of nobody listened, nobody listened, nobody yeah. was listening. And, and then he was like, look, this is the last step. Like I, I've tried and tried and tried and no one was paying any attention. Even with this grand gesture, you're still trying to attack me. Y'all need to get your shit together because if you don't, that's the end. And, and again, I, I watched this before the protests, but man, it, it would be even more powerful to watch right now than, than it was, you know, three weeks ago when I watched it, but the day the earth stood still is an amazing movie. Um, yeah. And, and of course it has the, that classic line, Klaatu, Verada, Niktu, which then is parodied in, um, army of darkness with the Klaatu, Verada, Nektai. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, I think, I guess I'll just mention, oh, 
Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's all that I have to talk about. I want to talk about every single movie, but I feel like that at least does for me uh, a good enough job of hitting all of the themes with the highlights of some of the movies. Um, I'll just mention Rashomon really quick again because I think it's incredible. You know, the I think a lot of people know what it is because the Rashomon effect is kind of a part of our vernacular, even if you haven't seen the movie. But basically, it's about a murder and rape, and you hear three different perspectives on the same event and see how the stories change based on the perspectives of the three people who were involved. Um, and I think it's an absolutely fascinating movie, not only because like. I think a lot of times we think when people are recounting events, sometimes we'll leave out details and people will be like, oh, they just forgot or they were under stress or whatever. And that's that can be true. But one of the things I love about Rashomon is that it talks about how we all have different perspectives and see things differently. But sometimes we're just lying to protect ourselves from yeah. our own actions um, because we may have done something so horrible that we can't deal with it. And so we leave out certain details to make ourselves not even to make ourselves look better, but to make ourselves feel better. Like you're doing it for yourself rather than for others. Yeah. Um, and I think that's fascinating. I think that's something that's a kind of self-reflection that a lot of people don't have. Um, they don't realize that they're lying to themselves and that's why they continue to lie. And they don't confront, confront that part of themselves. Like there's a, there's a line in the movie um, that says, we all want to forget something. So we tell stories. It's easier that way. Um, so it's easier, but in the long run, you end up causing more problems anyway without yeah. by not confronting those issues. Um, and then also, just because it's one of the best movies of the 1950s, I didn't watch it for this, but um, 12 Angry Men uh, is a movie that is set entirely within one room with just 12 people talking about a trial that you don't even get to see. And it is one of the most exciting, inventive, incredible movies you will ever watch. And it's all about justice and social justice and it's also about perspective in a certain way, kind of like Rashomon is. Um, yeah, probably the best courtroom drama ever made, and it doesn't even have a courtroom <laughs> part in it. Like, you just hear well, about the trial. It is a room in a court It is a room in a building. court, yeah. You just hear about the trial from the perspective <clears throat> of the jurors who are trying to weigh in on the fate of, uh, of a yeah. boy, I believe. I've um, only seen clips of that movie, but the thing that I've always loved about it is... Um, as an as the audience you do not have the objective truth like you are there with them and you only have the evidence and more specifically you only have the opinions of the people talking about the evidence and so like you are in that same boat of whether or not the person should be convicted whether or not they are guilty is there enough evidence to convict um you know the the whole american thing of innocent until proven guilty is there ever a time that someone should be guilty until proven innocent? Like Unless you even, have your cult of personality again that you can kind of... Yeah, I mean, it's just... It's, I, it is tricky yeah. because, I mean, that deals with issues that I think, you know, with like the Me Too movement of things and like believing women and... Um, which I do. Like, I, it's something that I fully support in every way. And I think that... And I think part of it, too, is because the justice system does not address issues like that um effectively i mean you know you see rapists often will get like maybe a year or two in prison and then they'll get out early or whatever like we do not address this this situation well enough and then also of course there's so much gaslighting and like oh well she was dressed a certain way so she was asking for it or 
Um, all these other things. I don't remember why I got on this topic. Sorry, I'm going off. <laughs> because on, we were talking about um, proof and the evidence. And exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, Twelve Angry Men is just a marvelous movie, and I think everyone should watch it. And um, yeah, I've I've only like, seen a stage production of it. Uh, and and again, I've seen a stage production and, of it too. Bits and pieces of the actual movie, but I've. It's one of the other ones that's still a blind spot in terms of the movie in its entirety. Yeah. Good stuff. Check it out. Yeah. And Sidney Lumet, who is one of the great unsung directors of, uh, like auteur directors of fifties through the two thousands, really like he's an, such an extraordinary filmmaker who I don't think gets enough credit. Yep. So yeah, I, I need to watch more. Um, all right. Again, there's a lot of stuff that we could keep talking about, but we've been talking for a while and, um, yeah, we, we should probably wrap this up. Um, we're going to keep continuing on with our decades episodes, uh, where each month we're going to do another episode covering the movies that we saw from, um, from that decade and some of the themes that stand out. And, uh, we've also, what else do we have coming up? Um, I, I don't know what else we have coming up. We, we've got a lot of <laughs> themes that we've talked about, but every time that like we say, all right, we're going to do this one next, then something happens and yeah, <laughs> we're no, not able to actually follow through with to it. Shift everything around. So uh, yeah, we, we've got a lot of themes, a lot of movies that we're going to keep talking about. And um, we, we will try to do our best to remember, um, you know, it, for as long as it is immediately relevant to keep talking about how we stand against racial injustice uh, at the front of our episodes, there are going to be times that we forget that. That doesn't mean that it is no longer important to us. That does not mean that we no longer care. That does not mean that the issue is solved. It just means sometimes we're, we're going to jump straight into the podcast. Um, but if you are listening to this episode and if you do catch later episodes and like, why are you saying it now? Sometimes we're going to forget. Um, but social justice is something very, very, very important to both of us. Um, and, and yeah, um, I don't, I don't know where else I'm going with that other than just, even if we do not explicitly say it in every single episode, we are aware of the social injustices and, um, and, and we want to do our part to stand against them. Yeah, so, absolutely. Like I would encourage everyone to, to always try to lift up black voices, um, you know, speak out any chance you get. Don't be like I've been for the past few years and just ignore it because that's absolutely the wrong way to go about it. Um, and also donate money to good causes, like donate money to the ACLU and the NAACP and all of these incredible organizations that are out there actually doing their part really, really are in a position to lobby for real change. Yes. Um, and please also support progressive candidates. Yes. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> it, is, it is time to vote that there was a primary uh, yeah. just the other day that I think a lot of people missed because of COVID and because of protests. Like, yeah, these are major issues that need to be addressed. And one of the ways they address them is in the ballot box. So get out and vote. Um, if you are scared to get out and vote because of not wanting to, um, <laughs> to perpetuate the pandemic because, you know, people are dying because of it, then get a mail-in ballot, you know, investigate your other options to be able to vote without putting yourself and others uh, at risk for catching COVID. Yeah, I know sometimes it can, like, I think that's the hardest thing. Sometimes I just feel so helpless, like I don't know what I can do. And and am I really making a difference by saying things? And 
I don't I don't even know if I really have the answer to that question, but I feel like I'm going to try my best. And well, I, I think that I'm I can't remember if I mentioned this on um, on our CFF episode or if it was just something that we were talking about beforehand, but different people have different strengths. Different people have different levels of tolerance of what they are able to do and not able to do. And um, while I do support protesting and I do support uh, speaking out to, to affect social change, that's not going to be the way that everyone does it. Some people are going to be out in the streets protesting. Others are going to be um, leading talks. Others are going to be just talking to friends and family about these issues. Others are going to be donating money. And so it really takes so many micro changes to like all these micro changes have to eventually accumulate into big changes. I mean, that's really the only way to get rid of these systemic injustices. It takes a lot of little things like talking to your kids. I know it's a tough subject to talk to your kids about because you want to shelter your kids, but something that you need to, they need to be aware of now. So that way they don't develop the, to be aware of things like white privilege and yeah, I, um, um, I was, uh, biases that you may not realize that you have and yeah i was seven um during the rodney king beating and i still remember that and i still remember why are these cops doing this thing and 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 i was seven especially hard to with police because yeah it's like because for a kid the police are they're the people who protect us. And so it's kind of hard to have those conversations with them sometimes and but at the same time like the other like my son Sometimes if I don't do something that he wants me to do, he'll be like, he'll pretend he'll be like, oh, I'm the police and you need to do what I say. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. <laughs> oh, your role because police officers, yep. that's not the job of a police officer. You do not have to explicitly do anything that a police officer tells you to do. You have to know your rights and they have, they are also subject to the law. And, you know, it's one of those discussions I had to have with Ian the other day and it's tough. I mean, it's, it's tough yeah. when you have young kids, but, but it's uh, absolutely something. But that's why it's so important to have these conversations. Exactly. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've said this on the podcast before, but uh, the whole, like, you don't speak about politics and religion in polite conversation only leads to having impolite conversations about such yeah. serious issues as politics exactly. and religion. You need to have these discussions, but figure out a way to have them in a civil manner so that people can actually continue the dialogue rather than just yelling at each other. Um, And and again, everyone's going to have different routes that they take, but just be on that same path of pushing for racial justice. And it's okay to be angry. I I am very angry about this. And anytime that I talk to someone, it takes a lot of control to keep that anger inside so that I can have a meaningful conversation with them rather than just telling them to get bent. Um, That doesn't mean that the anger isn't there. And it doesn't mean that some of the people who express their anger aren't justified. It just means do everything that you can to be that supporting voice. And, and again, don't feel guilty if you're not doing literally everything. Do yeah, everything this, that you are um, able to do. There's this uh, guy I was reading about. Uh, I read about him sometimes. He uh, he like spoke out for marginalized people. Um, you know, he protested against injustices. His name was uh, Jesus Jesus Christ. 
Oh um, yeah, that guy. Didn't that didn't guy? he also say something about like when ninety nine of the sheep are safe and there's one who is in danger that uh, that he is going to go and and save that one that's in danger that is uh, not in in a safe setting. Yeah. Or, he also yeah. was uh he also was murdered for speaking up against uh, the political establishment at the time. So yep. uh, yeah. Yeah, he's definitely somebody that we should actually, actually f***ing try to imitate. We yep. should actually try to be like Jesus. So please, let's, I mean, yeah, and, <laughs> and, and even if you're not a Christian, of- just thinking about like what he did as a human being and how much of a revolutionary figure he was, literally in terms of leading a revolution against corruption and injustices. Yeah, just yeah. And and I know that we probably don't have uh, many Christians listening to us, um, but part of the reason that that we do say, you know, (laughs) we don't say this on every episode, but we've said it on uh, on episodes Mm -hmm. before. We are both Christians. Part of the reason that we do make that known is to let some of the people out there who are listening to this know not every Christian is an asshole. Um, a, A lot of times it is just some of those systems in place that unfortunately are not helping. Um, yeah. And but, honestly, I think a lot of yeah. it too with the way Christians act nowadays is another, it's another systemic issue that just comes down from, from clergy on high who are not aggressive and have a certain yep. point of view about anyway, that's another, that's another yeah. it's another systemic <laughs> we, issue that, ha- that we have to address. And, all right. Um, yes. Do everything that you angry, can to okay. fight against racial injustice. Uh, stand up for what's right black lives matter because they do and yeah all right eric where do you want people to follow you um you follow me on twitter at the chimerican that is c-h-i-m-e-r-i-c-a-n um and you can follow me on uh what's the other one called instagram at chimerican reviews and on Letterboxd at Eric J-A-Y. And you can follow me on Letterboxd at The Gargoyle or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Video Monster Pod. Uh, and if you enjoyed this episode and want to keep coming back, um, just subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Twitter, not Twitter. Twitter's not where you get your podcast. <clears throat> Stitcher or iTunes or Google Podcasts or Spotify. Just wherever you get them, uh, we should be available. Um Again, that's Video Monsters, and uh, yeah, keep coming back, and we will see you next time. All right, that's been it for this episode of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And remember, kids, um, racism is a systemic issue, and sometimes that's hard to accept, but the alternative is that individuals are just evil and racist, and... Yeah, let's let's fight the system so that we can fight for the betterment of everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all I got on that one. Yeah, no, it's hard to it's hard to Yeah, and normally we reserve these to be like funny and, and joke about stuff, but uh <laughs> Except for lately when they've just straight up right been now, it's just yeah. Hard to. Hard to. Yeah. Alright. Yeah, anyway. Go go fight for what's right watch movies when you need a break and then get back to the fight well it's a good thing we're doing the 60s next 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 month when there was definitely nothing going on oh no that'll not, be nice that'll be a nice break There's not nothing. even not even at all like you know because movies aren't political 
Alright, we should end this. Bye! Nobody's perfect. <laughs>